Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of Beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall, and I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower, and no Steve with us again this week. <laughs> Steve, he, he couldn't make the show because <laughs> FC Dallas coming to town. So he thought the most logical thing to do was to travel to Texas for two weeks. He's adamant he's going to see family. I think he got the fixture list the wrong way round. Well, is he going to try and take in the Texas Derby while he's on there? Well, he's, he's hoping to, to maybe go and see the Houston-Austin game next weekend, yeah. which would be fantastic if he could. And surely he'll be able to find a ticket for a match I, don't, at I, I don't know if he's met Shirley before, but maybe Shirley could find him a ticket. Well, I oh. don't know because like Austin fans do travel in numbers, so you would imagine that they might fill up a few of those extra seats. Yeah, but there's always seats available. Yeah, and Houston are not having a, a great start to the season, it, it has to be said. No. They're, they're so bad, they're below the white caps in the standings right now. That's crazy. Yeah. But we are going to talk a couple of Whitecaps games in the show. We'll be looking at their, the first points on the board, or point on the board, and MLS action for the Whitecaps against Dallas on Saturday afternoon. We'll bring you our feature interview for the show, which is Whitecaps captain, Ryan Gold. Hashtag, he's my captain. I was going to say, what, what? He is the captain. He's the one that plays the games. He wears the armband. We'll be talking about the the testimony over on, is it Parliament Hill, you guys call it? I don't know what's what in Ottawa, what's what in Victoria. But anyway, the, the national team players uh, testified. In Ottawa. It was in Ottawa, yeah. yeah. So we'll we'll chat about that in part four. I'm, I'm sure that could get a, a little bit heated because... That was, an, that was an interesting committee meeting, something I'm not very familiar with because I, I don't follow Canadian politics all too often. But we're going to kick things off by looking at the dominant Whitecaps Champion League performance midweek. What time is it, Zach? It's, uh, today was five past Augsburg. Well, it's also time to move the clocks forward, depending That's on when, true. You, when you listen to this. That's Har, true. Har said to me at the game today, she's like, remember to put your clocks back tonight. I was like, Har, do not put your clock back. 
That's the worst thing you could do tonight. You don't have if you have a phone or whatever, it does it for you, right? You don't have to worry about. Well, yeah, but I I have manual clocks as you. Wait, I, manual is a clock at your house? Yeah, I I have manual clocks that that famous German journalist who's going to jump on to to talk Bundesliga in part five of this episode. But no, we have a clock in the kitchen that is very loud, and I hear it a lot when we're recording this. This mic picks everything up. I haven't heard it when I'm editing it back, but when I'm recording, I just hear. Which is either the clock in the kitchen or it's a clicker from The Last of Us coming to devour me. Just get that reference in nice and early. But no, what time is it? It was five past Lopez on Wednesday evening. A five-star performance for the Whitecaps against Real España. Five alive. How many more of these have I got? Quite a lot. It it was a a horrible return trip to Vancouver for or horrible trip all round really for Real España to to Vancouver. From getting here to the five 0 shellacking to a player collapsing after the game, and then the journey back to San Pedro Sula, which at the time of recording this. A lot of the teams still are not back in Honduras. I will go into all those details over this part. I think it's safe to say that they will never want to hear the name Whitecaps or Vancouver (laughs) ever again after the second leg this this Wednesday, unless they stage the most dramatic turnarounds of turnarounds in that second leg, which, I don't know, maybe, maybe they will. But a phrase I like to use here a lot which is a big UK phrase and it's tied in with betting, is if five goals are scored, you would say the Whitecaps went nap. Nap is just a kind of betting thing where you've got a a five-bet accumulator that goes on. So I always like to use that phrase, especially in my commentary, because I know most people here have no idea what I'm talking about, especially Gideon, when I, I mention it. Even though I mention it a lot, he still looks at me puzzled. But... I think that is just a look on his face sometimes. I think the wind changed one day and it kind of stuck that way. But somewhat amazingly, the Whitecaps went nap after their sleepy start where Yohi Takaoka had to make two big saves to keep out Benavidez. Otherwise, that could have been one or two away goals for Rio Espana and we could have been talking about a very different second leg to, to this tie coming up. It was a surprising start from Isaac from the, the Hondurans because I think a lot of folk thought they were going to bunker but they clearly thought, let's take it to the Whitecaps in the early going here and if we can sneak in a way goal with the form that they're in, they're going to be under a lot of pressure. Well, maybe they maybe they knew that there wasn't going to be a lot of gas in the tank at the end of the game. Yeah, that so too. Like, we we got to go for it like you know from the get-go to try and get something out of this. But the Whitecaps survived. They took control of the game. Now, we're not, not going to delve into this in tons of detail. It's It was one of those games. But, I mean, there's there's a few talking points out of this that I do want to cover. So, the opening goal, 21st minute, Tristan Blackman, short corner from Christian Dahomey to Julian Gressel. What a ball in from the German. His third assist on the season. Pinpoint accuracy onto the head of Blackman. A great header from him as well. 1-0 Whitecaps and no looking back after that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a would not be a, a great goal to concede if you're real, real Spain or real 
Spain. The real Spain. Sorry, Royal Spain. That would be right. The translation of Royal Spain. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, yeah. I mean, from a White Caps perspective, it was it was it was be very very happy. Gressel, like you said, the first three assists of the first three goals of the season. Um, you know, a great crosser of the ball from wide positions. Mm. And um, he he he's been like his. We saw it with the U.S. national team when he got the assist in his debut. Mm-hmm. His accuracy with these balls is tremendous. He's been one of the the best additions, I think, in the Vani era, especially yeah, from within the league. Oh yeah, yeah. And he, I mean, he. I, I'm joking about the wide areas, but he he has shown also that he can still make space from uh, mm-hmm. from that kind of uh, right sided eight position or whatever to. To get in either early crosses or to get even you know further wide to to still create from that uh, as he did on, on the weekend um, to you know less effect but um, no it, it, a, a good opening for for the for the Whitecaps and yeah they got the ball rolling you know whatever it was like a, a quarter into the match I think the disappointing thing though for me is they didn't then push on and add to that tally in the first half Vite probably had the best chance that, that just went wide but. You, you kind of thought they were dominating, they could have turned it on. And I was a, still a little bit concerned at half-time because a one-goal lead in Champions League, one-away goal, and all of a sudden the ties turned upside down. But we didn't have to, to worry too much because from the 59th minute onwards, it was just white caps, white caps, white caps. The Ryans were getting very heavily involved. Mm-hmm. Man of the match, Ryan Raposo, made it 2-0 in the 59th minute. Nice little cut inside after his run. Nice finish as well. Got the ball from Ryan Gold, who got two assists on the night. Mm-hmm. And like Raposo seems to rise to the occasion in cup competitions. I asked him that after the game, what it is about it. It's like, I, I, I just don't know. I just He just loves these competitions. He loves playing. He did well in the Canadian Championship for the Whitecaps last season. Scored couple of goals for Vaughan Azuri in the Canadian Championships yeah. against Halifax in the past as well. Now got a goal in the Champions League. And Vanny had said afterwards, the the goal was basically what he had told Ryan not to do. Don't cut inside and have a yeah. shot. And it's like, I'll just ignore the, the boss and that's the end result. Yeah, I think the keeper would have been kind of frustrated to be beaten at the near post. But yeah. from, a, from a Ryan perspective, great, great decision not to listen to your coach. Yes, <laughs> Five minutes oh. later, I mean, this leg was then outside. It was 3-0. An unfortunate own goal from Devon Garcia. Dahomey played the ball in, and Garcia obviously knew that he had a player behind him, which was Vite. And mm. I th- and I like to... Like, if Vite had scored, I would have been very curious to see what the VAR made of it, because I thought Vite was offside. Mm. But he might have held his line from the angle. It was hard to tell. But Garcia put it in his net. Now you you were working on Wednesday night, so you obviously were yeah. at, at the game or watching it live. So you have missed this, but you might have heard. Yeah, yeah I've heard. I've heard. Yeah. yeah. So anyone that's been to BC Place know that we'd be going. The goal scorer is Ryan Raposo. Ryan. So for this one, it's the only time I've heard this. It was like the goal scorer for the Whitecaps, Devron Garcia, <laughs> Devron. I. It was funny. But at the same time, I thought it was a little bit shitty. Why? It's just you're like mocking a an inflicted person. <laughs> I don't know. I just thought it was a. 
it it treaded the line between tasteful and distasteful, but I I laugh my bollocks off. So I was gonna say, does it sound like you, Michael? No, no. I mean, I find it hilarious, but a couple of other folk were like, "Oh, I'm not sure about that." Oh, own own goal. He's back. The Irish guy back leading the scorer for like. Yes, a I know they're having yeah. a fantastic start to the season. Good old Owen. Seventieth minute, Pedro Vite off Ryan Gold. Seventy-seventh minute, Brian White that, off Ryan Raposo. Yeah, the the Vite gold for me was the pick of the litter. The pass and the finish. I think it was with his right foot too, and he's left-footed. Yeah. Um. I I thought the, the movement on that and the yeah and the quick finish, that was the goal of the game for me. The the Vite one. Brian White. Uh, I think JJ had the first question or one of the first questions to him in the post-game scrum. Or maybe mm. it was Har. Actually, this sounds like a Har question. Saying all the animals off your back now that you've you've got this goal. Because apparently she's been constantly asking him about goal scoring and she's starting to get the sense that it's pissing him off now. Would, would that be the first... Or I guess you say, wouldn't be the first time. Well, her her and Brian and Jake used to have a nice little bond going oh, okay. the the Jersey oh, right. connection oh, right. and everything. Yes. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, he's got the goal. I, I was hoping... That was going to start him being streaky. We'll talk about the Dallas game and the next thing. I mean, he was lively today. Just maybe didn't get the, the breaks. The, the radio crew felt he's a little bit snake-bitten in front of goal. I don't know. I mean, there was a couple of spectacular saves today. But we're getting ahead of ourselves anyway. Yeah, we, we need to talk about that when, when yeah. we get to the Dallas game. Um, 5-0 final. Whitecaps had 27 shots to Real España's 10. 11 on target to their 2. Three of the Whitecaps players made the, the team of the week. Ryan Raposo, who was the man of the match. I thought that was a fair one. Uh, Ryan Gold, two assists. That made sense to me as well. Julian Gressel, delighted he got in, but great ball for the goal. I'm not sure I would have had him as team of the week. I, I watched about three quarters of the the other Champions League games and there was a few standout performances, but hey, take it. I think it's a... It's a good thing for the Whitecaps. It's a good confidence booster to get that win and to get that kind of recognition as well. Yeah, nice for them. Now, after the game, it was assistant coach Emerson Soto that spoke to media. And he said they weren't writing off that second leg just yet. If the Whitecaps could score four go five goals in Vancouver, they could score five goals in San Pedro Sula. Well, I'm not seeing I that. I think that's a bit of a stretch. I'm not seeing that either, but, you know, Canadian sides, um, you know, giving up a lot of goals in San Pedro Sula is obviously uh, yeah. <laughs> the part, yeah. of, uh, part of Canadian history, unfortunately. I, I, mean, I don't the see White it. Caps, I don't, it's not going to happen. It's not no, gonna... I mean, the Whitecaps won't, won't rest on their laurels either. They'll put a, a fairly strong team out there. And Real España showed flashes that they can cause problems. And as I say, if one of those early two chances or both of them had gone in, we'd be looking at a much different second leg. Now, Vanny has said that they won't take the second leg lightly after hey, I, the game on Wednesday. But I heard today, him saying, like, we're going to start all the starters originally, he said. I was like, what? Yeah, today he was more like, there, there'll be changes. It'll still be a strong oh. thing, but we'll it'll be it'll be managed properly as it should be mm. because it's sandwiched between two big MLS games the Dallas one today the Galaxy one next Saturday I mean you've got a feel that some of the, the fringe guys will will get s some minutes there and, and talking of which 
this was a great game because it allowed the Whitecaps to, to blood Karifa Yao, JC mm-hmm. Gando mm-hmm. in this competition, making their Whitecaps debuts. Both gave good accounts for themselves as well. And I think getting that out of the way early for them. Yao, Vanny's, we spoke about this, Vanny's been quite high in him. And the way that some of these defensive plays goes, this could be a good opportunity if Yao gets maybe the. The, the nod in Honduras or would that be a bit risky throwing someone of that inexperience into the, the middle? Uh, I, I, at 5-0, man, like you, you have to be confident enough to make some, take some risks like that, I think. Yeah. Especially if you do have some of your more, you know, experienced, uh, you know, starting 11 type players on the, on the bench. But the, the the whole squad's going down. They're charting down and they're going straight oh, from yeah. Honduras to, Juris, to LA. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. everyone's there. Everyone will be available. I would imagine he'll play a middling strength team, see how the game's going. If he feels that he needs to, to switch it up, you do. For me, you, you rest Brian Gold. You don't take that risk. Not Brian Gold. I was going to say. Brian Gold. I've combined them. I'm trying to make a, yeah. a perfect player. Um. Yeah, I'd 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 rest him. I I wouldn't maybe have him in. I'd maybe save Gressel as well. Maybe Takaoka. We talked about. We thought yeah, Sal might I get the all, nod for these games, but I, at I five, think yeah. at five nil, I could see him getting in. Sorry, just to, for our listeners' sake, your perfect player is a combination of Ryan Gold and Brian White. No. Okay. No. Sorry. But Brian White is. I think we talked about this in an AI show. Vanny had said that he was his favorite striker in the world. Which says a lot. Hmm. Um, talking of strange decisions, Matthias Laborda got a run out at right back with Tristan Blackman in the middle. And after the game, when he was asked about that, it's like, why not play Blackman on the as a right back and Laborda in the middle? Because we thought Laborda was coming as a centre back. Yeah, and that question was asked for two reasons. One, what you just said. People thought he was coming to be a centre back. And two... And correct you can this is where you can correct me if my, my understanding is wrong, Michael. Laborda has had limited experience at right back, although he can play there. To my whereas, knowledge, yeah. <laughs> whereas Blackman has had a poleth- like a, an abundance of experience at right back. Yeah. So and it, I'm I'm paraphrasing Vanny's answer, but it was roughly uh Laborda's a centre back that can play right back. Uh Tristan is basically a centre back that can't play right back. <laughs> it is roughly what he said. And I was like that's crazy. Tristan's shown otherwise, but yeah, totally. I mean, Laborda. I I said when he he spoke at the start of the season. I mean, I'm five eight, and he didn't seem that much bigger than me. And I was like, "Ooh, you're quite small for a centre back." I know mm-hmm. he's listed as five eleven. He didn't quite strike me as as five eleven, but I mean, he he was okay. It's maybe going to be a a learning curve for him. It's a dangerous one though if you're maybe going to have him learning right back. Ryan Raposo learning left back. Ah, yeah. We'll see how that goes. But, I mean, they kept a clean sheet, so you can't really knock it. Now, Emerson Soto also revealed after the game that his team had a nightmarishly long 22-hour journey to Vancouver on Monday, arriving in the wee small hours of Tuesday morning. They were severely struggling with the cold and fatigue, one of the Real España players collapsed in the dressing room after the game. He was taken to VGH, discharged on Thursday, 
then staying in the hotel as they awaited test results. Uh, the Whitecaps were fantastic, kept in touch with them. Some of the local community as well got in touch, took them to their house for dinner and watched the, the Champions League games as well. And him and the team doctor, at the time of recording this on Saturday night, are still in Vancouver. They went to the Dallas game on Saturday as guests of the Whitecaps. The Whitecaps invited them to the training facility on Friday. They watched training. They they had lunch there as well. The Whitecaps have been excellent in all of this. Got to give absolutely full credit to them. And I, I couldn't help but think, after as soon as he said that, we were kind of joking last week about what happened with Kyoto and you said, oh, I wonder who will be visiting in hospital this time around. Did, did you pay your visit, Zach? No, no, no. <laughs> No, Miner didn't get in touch this time, but Miner Miner was a great host again, apparently. So yeah, it's it. He, he does so much. He's a absolutely fantastic guy, and I, I I do want to give full credit to the Whitecaps the way that they they dealt with this. Looks like he's made a full recovery. Everything's going to be good. Um, they are driving down to Seattle on Sunday morning. They've got a flight from Seattle to Miami on. Let me get this right. Sunday evening, and then they get into Miami and they fly from Miami to San Pedro Sula on the Monday. Now he might actually still get back to Honduras before some of his players. The Whitecaps might actually get to Honduras before some of the Real España team because the rest of the team, their nightmare trip here was an even worse nightmare going home because their flight to Miami on Thursday morning was cancelled. They're sitting on the plane on the tarmac when the pilot comes over the, the speaker and says, I'm not feeling well, I'm going to get off the plane. And then they had to disembark. <laughs> the flight was cancelled. Oh, they man. managed to secure another flight to Dallas, but then they couldn't get out of Dallas to Honduras. Some of the squad flew back to Honduras on Saturday. Some are flying back on Sunday. Some are flying back on Monday. And their match against Real Sociedad on Sundays had to be postponed as a result. It's now, crazy. I, I mean, this shows the gulf that exists in CONCACAF. And I, I'm, I'm not saying CONCACAF should pay for charter flights for all the teams. But there has to be something in place that does not disadvantage these teams. These teams have proudly qualified for this competition. They shouldn't be disadvantaged because they can't travel the way that an MLS team or a Mexican team can jump on a charter. And also, there was issues with like visas for the Haitian team, Violet, that seems to have got sorted out now. But I looked at one point they might have to forfeit, despite leading their actual game against Austin, which we'll come to in a sec. And it's just like crazy, crazy stuff. And... CONCACAF needs to try and and work something out in this regard because teams like this should not be penalised in that way. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, it is, a, it is a concern. I mean, we know from past, like a, a cheap, like five, ten years ago, a cheap charter flight was $40,000. Mm. I can't imagine what it is now with all the inflation and and uh, some of the issues over gas gas prices or fuel prices. Um, so yeah, to say to these teams, look, you gotta, I mean, if they made it mandatory saying, Hey, you got to use charter flights. 
It would be probably in some ways crippling to some of these teams. Oh, yeah. I mean, some of these teams definitely can't. One of them being like the Haitian team Violet, who I think because everything that's going on in Haiti and with their federation and everything, I don't think they've played a competitive game in nine months. Yeah. They had to play their home game in the Dominican Republic and they still came away with a absolutely stunning 3 yeah. win over Austin. I watched this one live and they were full value for that win. Now, I could see Austin turning it around. I've got to say in the second we're, leg. We're Austin, I, I can't remember. I've seen highlights of this, but were, I, were Austin wearing that hideous new kit they were? I genuinely can't remember now, to, to be honest. I don't think they were. LA they wore the smoke the jersey. LA. Yeah. So maybe maybe if they wear the horrendous, horrendous jersey in the return leg, they'll just throw the Haitians off because they'll, you know, they, they like they'll keep like what they'll is just that get thing? Motion sickness yeah. as they, they watch it going. But I mean that, that was an absolutely fantastic game. The atmosphere, the the Haitian band that were playing because I, I watched the game. I'll, I'll I'll mention this now. If you've got a VPN, you can watch all the Champions League games on Concacaf's YouTube channel. Set your VPN to the UK. They're all free on YouTube. Even though I've got one soccer, I quite like watching it on YouTube because it's easier to to put it back if you want to see something. Um, but they didn't have commentary for this one. So it was just the band playing. It was quite catchy. I was like dancing away in the living room and stuff. So I, I watched a big chunk of the games. Um, Alianza from El Salvador drew 0-0 with Philadelphia. Highlight of that one was a dog running on the pitch. Always love that. Tigris and Orlando drew hell, 0-0. Yeah. Now, I saw the highlights from that one. That I've was... got to say, you say advantage Orlando, but again, away goal for Tigris. That's why I like being away in the second leg. Mm-hmm. Tigers get that away goal and all of a sudden pressure's on Orlando. Yeah. The Mexican team's not steamrollering this competition no. like we've seen in the past as well. I mean, if Tigers were to, to bow out, that would be huge. Leon, probably the best performers. They got past the Panamanians, Toro, 1-0. On the road. Uh, but <laughs> Olympia. A 4-1 hammering of Atlas in Honduras. Now, mm-hmm. that away goal for Atlas could still prove crucial. But yep. Olympia, we've seen them in this competition before. They know how to play on the road and how to make life difficult. I'm looking forward to the second leg of that one, I've got to say. Uh, Montagua and Pachuca drew 0-0. You'd fancy Pachuca in the second leg. And then LAFC, very comfortable against Alouel Enzi. Yeah, I saw, I saw the highlights of that one. An now, easy, easy three 0 in the smoke kit. Did, well, the did forest you, fire kit or whatever. Did you see is. the LA fans? They travelled in numbers. Yes, they were fantastic. Yes, but I heard as well that they were being advised to leave with like fifteen, twenty minutes of the game remaining for their own safety. And did they? I some did, but I I don't think the bulk of them think, did. I don't think all of them would. Yeah, but I mean that's not right stay, either. You want to stay together? Yeah. That is that is not right that you have to go to a country and get that official message. It's like that's something else CONCACAF have to make sure. Like you want to grow this competition and travelling support helps everything. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's CPL, League One, whatever. Travelling support grows buy-in into these competitions. Totally. So if you're not feeling safe or you've got fans being warned that they might not be safe, that's got to get clamped down on ASAP. Yeah, I mean, you have to wonder, like, I don't know how many Whitecaps fans might make the trip to Honduras, but hopefully they are well looked after anyway, but... Last time for the Olympia game, oh yeah, last time a bunch of them went, because I know, 
some of them uh, did some pretty cool things on their travels in terms of connecting with the local community. But um, I'd said to Caitlin before the draw, I was like, if we get a good draw, I, I think I might go to the away leg. And it was Honduras, San Pedro Sula. I was like, nah, you're okay. Yeah. But I'd also have been pissed off if I'd booked all that flights and hotel and it was a 5-0 first leg. Yeah. I'm like, well, that's a pointless game to go to. Uh, it's never, uh, dude, it's never a pointless no, game. No, I know, I know. Cross that off your ground hopping app. Yeah, I, having bags of piss thrown at me has never really been on my, my app. I've been to Cowdenbeath. <laughs> so, after two good halves of football in Major League Soccer play and two horrible halves of football in Major League Soccer play <laughs> and no complete game, that was a big confidence booster for the White Caps totally. on Wednesday night. And, and exactly what we talked about last week. What they needed, they went out and did it, and they did even, like I was thinking, maybe three, maybe four goals tops. They they exceeded that. So it was a great it was a great day. It was a crowd, like 13,000 again. Yeah, I thought that was excellent for yeah. a midweek game midweek against Champions a team, League. which if you're being honest, the vast majority of fans there will never have heard of in their lives. No. I, again, good. So good job, I think, all all around, and a real encouragement. And again, regardless of the potential impact on the on the league play, it's uh, it it, it can't it could soften the blow of some of this early unfortunate start or or hopefully. Yeah, well, I mean that was the big thing. The big question now was: Could the Whitecaps bring that five goal, five star form into a much tougher? Opposition at BC Place on Saturday afternoon in the shape of FC Dallas. We'll be back talking about that game after this. Hey, I'm Julian Gressel and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for the month of March from Luxembourg, skinhead band The Skin Flicks. That's a B-side from their 2021 single Won't Bend the Knee. And it's a, a reworking of their song Zach, I Hate Hippies which was from their 2000 album, Lies, Damned Lies and Skinhead Stories. And that was a more updated version. I hate hipsters. Cool. Cool. Yeah. I mean, you've always been saying to me, get more European skinhead bands on the show. So that's what we've done. No, that's I've never said that to you. Well, 
since you came back from hanging about no, the no, 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 no. I didn't hang out with any skinheads at the World Cup. Oh, you did not get gay, did not get your tickets for the Serbia game. No, <laughs> I did go to the one Serbia game, but no, I didn't get them from the Serbian ultra guys. No, that was a good decision. Oh, yeah. I think I in the that, end, I felt good about that. Yeah. The, the Skin Flicks, as I mentioned, are a great band from Luxembourg. All their stuff is actually about to get re-released on CD at the end of the month from a German record label called Fan Total. And I'm I'm really torn because I want to get all the stuff on CD because I still love my CDs, as I was going to say, as you can see behind me, but you are listening to this on the podcast. so I can see them. You can see them. That's the main thing. I play them in my car. Um but the problem is that this company only ships to Canada by DHL because they want to track it, naturally enough. And DHL always hit you with import duties and a fee as well. So I'm kind of torn as to what to do about this. But anyway, we'll, we'll see. That's my problem to, to deal with. It's a shame, really, that the Whitecaps weren't playing Austin today playing a song I Hate Hipsters because we know that Austin is full of hipsters don't think you can say that about Dallas Dallas is what maybe 20 years in the past I don't know never, never been there just what I know from watching the TV show in the late 70s and 80s lots of oil and showers but yeah FC Dallas came to BC Place on Saturday afternoon to take on the Whitecaps having not beaten the Whitecaps since 2018 one all draw and for me, Zach, I think that's a pretty fair result. I mean, disappointing to drop two points at home, naturally enough. Five points dropped at home in the first two games, which is very concerning. But I think a one-all draw, well, at least a draw and a share of the points what was fair today. Uh, so this is how, how I feel, Michael. I think in, in, one, in one respect, yeah, it seems relatively fair. If you're Vancouver, I think you feel like you could have won based on the number of chances you created. I think if you're FC Dallas, I think you feel you should have won based on the quality of chances that they created. Um, so, uh, yeah, in the end, I guess a fair result is is probably the you know the right analysis. It's an interesting game to break down because my notes that was taken during it at the game today a lot written down in the first half second half pretty disappointing half of football I've got to say and it was a disappointing start for the Whitecaps as well like Dallas came out in the front foot and they they were dominating they, they'd kept the pressure on um, after a, an attack and they'd kept players up they were moving the ball around well it was a well moved goal well-worked goal, they moved the ball about well, five minutes in, horrible defending again, as the ball comes in, Tafari sends in a great cross, and it's met well by Sebastian Iabaga, but, and as Vanny talked about afterwards, defending was terrible, and in this case, Tristan Blackman, the man on that side of the ball, is the one that should have snuffed that out, should never have come onto the head of Iabaga. And I, I, I've got to agree with that. When I saw it, I was like, Ranko will probably some focal point fingers at him because 
the the Dallas player jumps in between the two of them, but that there was nothing Ranko can do in that. It was Blackman that let that ball sail over his head, and it was just more horrible defending from the Whitecaps that we've seen in every game so far in MLS play. So even though this was uh, a second, or you may might even say a third phase off of a set piece, um, I think that you can't. Like if Steve were, was here, I don't think you would talk about zonal marking in the same way because no. the play had moved on so much. So Vanny's, I think, uh, analysis of the after the match was that we were in the we we were not on the right positioning. He referenced that kind of where his defenders were. Um, but yeah, the Dallas center back just found a sweet spot, right, kind of almost in between the two defenders, where he had the space to rise and easily and easily not home. But uh, you're right. I think both the center backs will feel like they could have positioned themselves better um to defend the, the cross and to defend the, the man in the in the middle uh in the middle of the in the middle of the box. I mean I'm I'm quite high interest in Blackman. I think he's a great player. I think he's been a really good addition to to the Whitecaps, but that's two poor games I felt from him at BC Place that this year. I don't think he's quite at that level that that we need him to be at. And I mean, it, it was a bad goal to give up. Two minutes later, though, Dallas nearly made it two, and the marking on this was even worse. The ball comes to Paul Ariola, and everyone knows how dangerous he is at both ends of the park, it yeah. turns out. But he, he was played in, wide open at the back of the box, acres of space, and I think he does poorly on it. I mean, good save by Takaoka, but when you've got that much time and space, you are expecting that guy to put that in the back of the net. I certainly was as soon as he got it. Totally. Like I said before, based on the quality chances that Dallas made, they'll feel hard done by not to have won. And that that chance is the best chance that they created and really totally should have been a goal. And I even said to you, I think before the game or the very early parts of the game, I messaged you saying, you know, Dallas's front five are quite impressive from yes. an MLS standpoint. Yeah, their yeah. back, their back five and their keeper are less known or less, maybe less quality or less recognition, less experience, whatever. But their front five are impressive, and it was kind of weird that yeah, Ariola misses that chance. We're going to talk about him at the other end of the pitch in a moment, and also the goal came from a from, from a central defender. Yeah, then there was the, the Whitecaps then start to take control. I think after that chance that it was all Whitecaps were a big part of the game and White had a chance that it was deflected into the side netting. The folk in the crowd thought it had gone in, the music started and I'm going, it's, it's clearly not a goal, but it didn't even get a corner. It did take a deflection, I feel. Yeah, White was really not too, super happy with that. Yeah, but then three minutes after that, a little flick and what a save from from Pace to turn that around the post. Yeah, well, from White again. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't, I don't think the save was as spectacular. It wasn't as spectacular as one later on from him, but it was, it was yeah. a good save. It yeah. was a strong it was, save. It was a good save again for me. Uh, and I know he had another good chance later, but Brian White, um, like I'm, I Brian White, I'm not surprised at his form. Like this is. Kind of what I expected, you know, after this, you know, going into last year, I thought he was going to, uh, his production was kind of what, what's the phrase, return to the mean or whatever, regression to the mean. Mm. Um, like he, he way overperformed in his first uh, half season with Vancouver. And last year, he was more maybe in line with what he had produced before, perhaps a little bit below. 
And uh, this year, it feels like he's kind of in in a similar vein of form where he'll get in some good spaces, he'll have some good chances, but his finishing it lets him down. And that the I know the first one was deflected, but uh, so you can't really blame him on that. That stab, I think, was a nice stab, a good effort, whatever. But uh, yeah, I, I, you still feel like a, a player in the, in that in that part of the structure of the team you know both on the pitch and in their salary budget needs to be really producing far more than he is and it was unfortunate for him that the the goal he scored in the champions league midweek didn't uh didn't help translate into better form uh in the league at the weekend now i mentioned the radio guys had said that they feel brian white is snake bitten just now and i think that's just too easy a phrase to throw about it's it's more about like he is getting in the right positions, and I again it's easy to say oh his confidence is not there, but he's he's a confident guy. He knows he can score. It's just things are just not coming off in the same way. Whether it's just not hitting it at the the right time, or someone comes up with a with a great save, which later on at the end of the half there, there was another great save. But you've got to hope that one striker I, right now I, I couldn't care less if it's White or if it's Cordova which seems to be the way to pronounce him I've been calling him Cordova but I'm going with the radio guys they said Cordova so we'll go with that um, I don't care which one it is one of them needs to find some form and start getting on the end of these chances that are getting created or this is going to be a tough tough start for the Whitecaps again and then we, we come to the minute of the match that is the very telling one. 33rd minute, Dallas could have gone 2-0 up. They don't. The Whitecaps go up the pitch and it's level at one apiece. Now, the 33rd minute, it, it was crazy because Ariola sends a corner in and once again, Iabaga is allowed to jump unchallenged to meet the ball and he heads it off the bar. I, yeah. I don't know when they're going to learn to pick these guys up. Yeah, th this is where we can talk about zonal marking again. And then yeah. not, not being in the right spot, not picking up the right person, or just being where they're potentially being where they were supposed to be, but the attacking team finding the space, right? Like they're. It was a pinpoint delivery. And again, yes. Ibiaga. Uh, rose well to, to meet it but he was allowed to just rise and there's yeah. been a few goals like that this weekend I've got to say I mean we'll, we'll come to the, the the goal that Portland got at, when, when I do my round up but that guy rose with five St. Louis players around him unchallenged so this wasn't the worst one of those that we've seen this weekend but the Caps have to do something to, to, to nip this in the bud now because there's far too many free headers and teams are going to watch this and they're going to be like, let's just whip crosses into the box because we've got a good chance that you're going to just out-jump out a Whitecaps defender and get your head in it and then who knows what happens. Well, you're, I think the, any, any team who's doing any kind of sufficient proper scouting of the Whitecaps this year um, for a game, you know, for you know, playing them in MLS this year is absolutely going to be coming back and saying, look, if we work on some uh, set plays where we can get movement and get their 
a zonal marking kind of off, get them off balance. Like the, we saw once was it the quick free quick, um, sorry, the quick free kick, I think it was, or mm-hmm. the, the short corner where you get everyone moving and then put it in the box. Teams are totally going to continue to do that if they're smart. I mean, so many goals, uh, sorry, a significant amount of goals are created from set plays in football in general. And yeah, if you're, if you're, if you're giving away so many free headers, teams are going to uh, attack that as much as possible if they're smart. Yeah. But the, the White Cup survived, capitalized on it, went up the pitch, got the equalizer, and it was, a, it was an interesting one. Javain Brown, he's got a fucking long throw. And it came off to full effect as he launched a, a long throw. Flicked on very nicely, it has to be said, by Ranko. I thought he did excellently with that. The ball's coming to the back post. Ariola, under pressure from Gold, makes a complete tit of himself, puts it in the Dallas net. Back on level terms. Own goal takes the, the lead in the scoring for the season. Own goal, yeah. Two goals, right? Yeah. Out of the charts, right? Yeah. It's not even I, It's not even tied, right? In all yeah. competitions. No, he, he's, he's leading. Yeah. Take that, Lucas Cavallini. <laughs> um, yeah, nice throw, nice flick on. Uh, and Areola just the presence of gold makes him act foolishly, right? You know, if gold's not there, or maybe if it's not Ryan Gold, maybe it's Brian White, or maybe it's someone else, he doesn't take the action he did. Um, but yeah, he I think you know, not even from the, the previous chance, but the the chance where he should have scored, and you combine that with this. He's almost like the most significant player in the match, in my opinion. Yeah, pretty much. And then the last action of the first half, right on the stroke of half time, and this was the save of the game. Martin Pays, wow, acrobatic stop to deny Brian White. It was a, it was a fantastic save. This is this is the header, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a good save, but again. Yeah, it was yeah the best save of the game. But if you're Brian White, like you, that needs to go in, right? Like you need to be scoring those. You need to be not not be snake snake bit. Yes. Um, second half wasn't a a great half of football at all. Dallas in the seventy eighth minute had a a great chance, and again, I I was like screaming at this. The ball comes to Marco Farfan on the edge of the box. First time volley. He's wide open. Oh, yeah. Wide open. And it just flashes over. And Oh, that was just shocking marking. 90th minute into stoppage time. Uh, the, the tackle of the, the match for me. Andrus Kubis takes the, the ball off the feet of the Dallas player in the box as he's just, like, lining up to take a shot. It was a, a crucial one. He goes out for a corner. Um, the corner comes in as well, and the, the chance just flashes wide, and you're like, whew, that's a, a close call for the Whitecaps. And then with basically the last chance of the game, deep into the fourth minute of stoppage time, ball goes across the Dallas goal. Cordova running into the back post, outstretched, just can't get on it, just can't direct it in agonizingly close for the Whitecaps and it ends 1-1. Now, I know some people, especially in the, the game, were not happy with the refereeing or some of his decisions. Yeah, I, 
I I know Vanny's he said it on the radio, he said it in the post game presser. I didn't think the referee had it that shock in the game. There was maybe a few inconsistencies, but referees don't have that. There was definitely something that happened in Stobbish time that really pissed Vanny off. And I think it was just he was wanting con- consistency that maybe wasn't there. So um, Peter Zimmerman, friend of the show and president of the Southsiders, uh, his his tweet of Vancouver one, Dallas one, referee one. Yeah. Is, is that Was that maybe a harsh, a bit harsh? I'd need to watch it back, to be honest. I, I didn't come away from that feeling, oh, the referee played a, a part in that. I was away to say there... There was that one incident where the guy got booked and there was a tackle shortly after and then they're all like, how is that not a booking? It's exactly the same tackle. But then I realised that was the VMSL game I was at afterwards. Because <laughs> the FBC plays right in the final whistle, bombed it in the car up to Burnaby Lake, took in the VMSL Imperial Cup semi-final. So it's all blending into one now. But, yep, first point of the season for the Whitecaps. They've got a tough schedule coming up now. You've got Espana midweek. You've got the Galaxy, NLA on Saturday. Then you're travelling to Minnesota this Saturday after that. We've talked about what we think will happen in the Espana game. And I think it's going to be the full strength team that's out of the Galaxy. Now the Galaxy, below the Whitecaps in the standings right now. And it's a it's a big game. If the, if the Whitecaps can get something on the road, I think that's a, that's a huge one for them I do have this fear that they're going to finish March on a solitary point which is disappointing but the way they've been playing and the way that Dallas had taken the Galaxy apart last week I was thinking it could have been zero so I guess small small benefits and things just one point maybe one point in the league but advanced in the in the yeah. championship yeah if if they can get it going and get some results, we'll, we'll, we'll take that. But the Whitecaps currently sit in 11th in the West. Let's have a look around what happened at the, the rest of the MLS Western Conference this weekend. So the Whitecaps-Dallas game was the first of the MLS West action this weekend. Going to round up what else played out in the Western Conference on Saturday. One game still to come, LAFC host New England. LAFC in Costa Rica playing on Thursday night, so their game pushed back to this Sunday. All the other Western teams were in action this week. And it was Cincinnati 1, Seattle 0. The first loss of the season for the Sounders. They went into this weekend leading the West... They come out of it in second place in the West. Brenner with the only goal of the game for Cincinnati. Well, the only one that counted anyway. That was in the 63rd minute. Nick Hagland got sent off in the 83rd minute for Cincinnati. I feel it was a bit harsh. I think there was another man that was overcovering, but uh, a VAR review saw the decision upheld and off he went. Seattle thought they had snatched a point in stoppage time, but it was called back for a foul in the box by Gomez. So the first loss of the season for the Sounders and a, a big home win for Cincinnati and you saw what it meant to their coaching staff at the end of this one. That was a, a decent game. Not sure how much you can say about the next game. Sporting Kansas City nil, LA Galaxy nil. Sporting Kansas City still goalless in 2023. 
but it's certainly not for the lack of trying. 30 shots they got off in this one, 11 of them on target. They couldn't find a way into the back of the net. The Galaxy just, they were no match for, for this Kansas City side at all. And reading the comments afterwards from Peter Vermees, he's happy with where his team are, the chances that they're creating. He's not overly worried right now because he does feel that if they can just start to to find that clinical finish in front of goal, the goals are going to come and they're going to push up the table. They've got back-to-back draws now. They just have to now find their scoring boots and try and build on, on some really solid offensive performances that they have put in. Minnesota, fresh of a bye last week, drew one all against New York Red Bulls in a snowy home opener for Minnesota. Elongwani had a header save but poked home the rebound in the 18th minute to give Minnesota the lead. But New York tied it up and secured a point four minutes in at the second half. Andreas Reyes, great movement and an equally great header in off a corner, 1-1 in that one. It was Nashville 2, Montreal 0. Montreal, still pointless, rooted to the bottom of the East with Charlotte after their third straight loss. Two good goals from Nashville in this one. Schaffelberg with the first in the 37th minute. Rocket of a strike from him. The ex-TFC man coming back to haunt his old Canadian rivals. And then Washington sealed the deal in the 89th. Montreal unable to get any shots on target in this one and I think there's got to be some concern now for Montreal, the losses that they've suffered in the off-season they're just not firing on all cylinders just now and it looks like they're a shadow of the fantastic team that they were last year I mean they did get off to a slow start last year as well and turned it around right now this team is not looking the same animal and I think it could be a long hard tough season for the Montreal fans. It was RSL 1, Austin 2. All the goals in the first half of this one. John Gallagher put Austin ahead in the ninth minute with a lovely long-range rocket. Justin Glad levelled in the 22nd. Then 11 minutes later, Owen Wolfe, son of the boss, making his dad proud, firing home the winner, just allowed to run unchallenged, get in front of goal and fire one off from about 22 yards out, his first MLS goal and match winner. What a way to do it. It was San Jose 1, Colorado 0. Last week's Caps Conquerors made it back-to-back wins. A beautiful dipper from the edge of the box from Christian Espinosa in the 78th minute was the difference maker between these two teams, aided by a, a slight deflection. Colorado, another team this weekend didn't get a shot on target. Only blight on the night for the Quakes was a 93rd minute sending off for Jamie Montero. But back-to-back wins now for the Quakes, who were basically just a, a stunning stoppage time performance from Atlanta away from being 3-0. I don't really think anyone saw the Quakes doing that this season. I know I certainly didn't. And the last game we're going to talk about is another team who are 3-0, and that's the new boys from St. Louis City, their second away win of the season. It was a come-from-behind victory as well. 
Long trip off to Portland for this one. Portland got off to the great start. Three minutes in, Zach McGraw rose above five St. Louis players. This was like Whitecaps-esque marking to head home from a corner. Absolutely shocking defending, but full credit to St. Louis. We've seen the fight already from this team this season. They fought back. Jared Stride equalised in first half stoppage time. Kyle Hybert then won the game for St. Louis. It came after strong pressure from Portland, who were pushing to go ahead, but St. Louis went up the pitch, took the lead in the 76th. We talked about Portland's goal being horrible defending by St. Louis. This was horrible Timbers defending. I mean, the, the Timbers look very susceptible to, to crosses in the, the start of the season. A ball came in from a free kick. It was allowed to run all the way to the back. Hybert, standing on the corner of the six-yard box, gets a head on it. It's not even that strong a header. It really should have been kept out by a defender or the keeper. It wasn't. Ends in the back of the net. 2-1 for St. Louis. And stunningly, St. Louis City. The expansion side. Top of the Western Conference. 100% record. Three wins from three. Plus four goal difference. And next week, if they can get a fourth win, they'll make history as the first expansion side to get four wins to kick off their inaugural season. If a log jam after that, Seattle, Austin and San Jose all in six points. Dallas and Minnesota and four. LAFC, Portland and Salt Lake on three. LAFC, of course, could add to their tally on Sunday night. That's the nine teams in those playoff places just now. Then you've got Kansas City in 10th on 2, Whitecaps in 11th on 1, LA Galaxy in 12th on 1. Those two teams, of course, meet next weekend. Big, big game for both. Colorado on 1 in 13th and Houston, bottom of the pile, pointless, looking to try and kickstart their season. Currently, three teams unbeaten in the West. That is St. Louis, Minnesota and LAFC. Quick look at the Eastern Conference, and it's Atlanta and Nashville and Cincinnati leading the way in that on seven points apiece. Montreal, 14th, no points, no goals, minus five goal difference, struggling just now. And just a find a little bit of Canadian content. Toronto made it back-to-back draws, moving up to two points for the season. They're currently sitting 11th now in the Eastern Conference. DeAndre Kerr fired TFC ahead in what was their home opener on Saturday afternoon, the 25th minute. But Madranda levelled in the 75th for Columbus. Initially flagged for offside, reviewed, far, so he was on. 1-0 draw. TFC struggling, but they do have the most points from any of the Canadian teams. Two for them, one for the Whitecaps. Just three points from a possible 27 now for the three Canadian teams. Not a great start for Canada. They all need to turn things around pretty quickly. But that is our MLS West wrap-up. It's not it, though, for our Whitecaps chat. We're going to be back with our feature interview on this week's episode. And that's with Whitecaps captain Ryan Gold. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Ryan Gold, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we're going back to Fife in Scotland. My good friend Doug Perry's band, Got Got Neat. You may have heard them on the show a couple of episodes ago. They are also the band that do the theme song for my East Fife podcast, Glory Days of Gold. Um, they released a three-track EP last month called Filtered Smiles. We played you the first track from it last time around. This is the third of the three tracks. It's called Times of Yesterday. It's an absolute belter, as I mentioned before. Check them out on Spotify, Apple, wherever you get your music from. Add the EP to your playlist if you can. Got Got Need is the band's name. Filtered Smile is the name of the EP. You won't be disappointed. Someone else that seldom disappoints is another Scot, Ryan Gold. Goes without saying what a key player he is to the Whitecaps. And it's been an interesting start to the season so far for Ryan. In that season opener, the loss to Real Salt Lake, he led the team, he led the league with seven key passes. Next week, though, in San Jose, no key passes at all. Wednesday night against Real España, two assists on the night, made the CONCACAF Champions League Team of the Week. And the latest game against Dallas on Saturday afternoon was key in putting the pressure on Paul Ariola that saw him turn the ball into his own net. We kind of have seen it in the last couple of seasons. If, if Ryan Gold goes, so the Whitecaps go. And we know what a key player he is for the side right now. Got a chance to sit down with Ryan this past week just to chat a little bit about the, the start to the season. Now, I will mention that we recorded this on Tuesday. So it was after the the first two MLS games, but before the Spanier game and before the Dallas game. So a couple of the things we talk about, they're, they're not dated, but they're not fully up to date with how the, the games have gone. But go stick the kettle on, grab your biscuit of choice, sit back and enjoy our feature interview for this episode with the Whitecaps captain, Ryan Gold. Ryan, last time we talked, I jokingly, well, half-jokingly, was asking about you playing for Canada, and then it kind of made it into the Scottish papers. So we'll, we'll see what we get to go in the Scottish papers for, for this one. So I didn't know folk in Scotland listened to this, but there we go. Um, <laughs> I haven't spoken to you this year, so first thing I want to ask you, I know we haven't got a lot of time, but I want to ask you about this. How was your trip to Oregon? That was really good. Uh we had a yeah, we had a very good time. Uh seeing all the different like little towns and um like all those little seaside villages and um uh, yeah, just getting up to travelling and wandering about and stuff. It was really good. What a good time. Did you have a particular favourite? Uh obviously Cannon Beach was lovely. Mm. Um and then we stopped in. Uh, we actually stopped in Tillamook at the factory, and that oh. was. I thought that was really cool. I I do as well. 
Like every time we go down there, we come back with a ton of cheese. <laughs> oh, absolutely! We came away with heaps of cheese. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was really good. And then there was one more. Coos Bay. Coos Bay was really nice. Yeah. Did the dogs enjoy it, I take it? Yeah, they loved it. They had a great time. Brilliant. I guess I should start talking about football with you. So, first of all, like pre-season, I was a bit worried when you went over to Spain that you'd missed the hot weather and you wouldn't want to come back. But <laughs> how... I spoke to a few of the guys. They've all spoken about how different the pre-season felt this year. Vanny spoke about it as well. How how did you feel about pre-season? In comparison to last year? Yeah. Yeah, there was a big difference in terms of the amount of games we played, the intensity of the training, um, and the facilities as well. I think just when you kind of look at everything that was... everything involved that you could look at, I think everything was you know, a step above in comparison to last year. And I mean, I mean, unfortunately, you know, it's not showed in terms of results this year, but, you know, we're all sure that it's coming. I think it took us a long time last year to even, you know, put in a good performance, but um, we've been, we've been decent across the two games. So I think it's, I think the preseason has set us up in a good way for, for what's to come for the rest of the season. Yeah, I, this is probably going to go out after the Dallas game now because we had our last show out yesterday. I might bring one out midweek, I don't know yet. So I'm, some of this might already have changed by the time that, that this comes out. But the, the results down Palm Springs, like everything went really well, everything was looking good. What do you think's been the difference in taking that into the season now? I mean, I, I'd say there's been two really good halves of football and two not good halves, and it's just trying to put together that complete game, I guess. Yeah, um, that's just, that's exactly it. Um, both games have been games of two halves when we've, especially the Salt Lake, you know, I mean, you look at the first half, we dominated that, and we could have been up three or four at half time, but, um, you know, we let them back into it in the second half, and I think a, a big part of it is going to be... Um, you know, we're looking more like a team that that's, you know, capable of hold, holding on to the ball a little bit better, and just generally being more in control of the game. And I think, you know, with more of that, um, there's definitely good things to come for us. And I think the thing, I think the, the thing we need to concentrate on just now is, uh, you know, capitalizing on that and scoring more goals. Um, because I'll go back to the Salt Lake game, it was like incredible the amount of chances that we did manage to create and, you know, we only got one goal. But when you look at the grand scheme of things, I think, okay, we're two games, zero points. But we, a few of us were actually speaking about it. It was just yesterday. Man United had zero points after two games and they've been flying since. So, you know, you don't make the playoffs in the first two games. It's going to be a long, long season. And, we're all we're all still very confident that you know we're capable of having that good season. As long as you don't let seven goals in in one of these games coming up, then yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll take the Man United comparison. Yeah, touch wood that. <laughs> this like the start to the season, like for you personally, like in RSL, I I had someone message me during the game going, "Oh, they're, it's like they're moving the ball around like Barcelona, and the midfield certainly does look better." And you saw that with the goal against San Jose; it was a beautifully worked goal. You had seven key passes against RSL, but then none against San Jose. What What do you think that difference was? Was it just that 
you were kind of marked a little bit differently in that second. Um, yeah, that's that's down to me. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting in the best positions and getting on the ball and being as influential as I as I want to be. Um, so I would say that's just more to do with me. You know, I need to be better, and even if the game's not completely going our way, I, I still need to try and uh, you know find a way to to get on it and make things happen for us. So that's something I've said before the season that I need to be. I need to be better at um, because I think the majority of my individual good performances last year were all at home. Um, so I need to, you know, I need to figure out a way to take that on the road and put in good performances, not just once every two weeks, but every week. Talking about like road form, I I, I didn't check this stat. I saw it on Twitter, so obviously it's going to be a hundred percent accurate. But the team hasn't won on the road since June last year. I mean. I didn't think it was as bad as that, but I mean, what's what's that down to? Do you think it's hard to? I think it's hard to pinpoint. You know what that's down to and what causes that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's difficult to say because I I don't think it's just we can look at that in different ways as well. Because I think when we played the the Eastern teams last year, I don't believe we won a game against the East any of the Eastern teams last year. Um, so there's another thing that, you know, we can we can improve on. But yeah, away from home, we, we did show in in um little spells that we're we're more than capable of putting in performances on the road because mm. you think back to uh second half of Nashville we dominated and we got a goal in the last five minutes to get a draw. I think in Cincinnati we had a much better second half. So we and San Jose that first half, you know, we're capable of mm-hmm. going on the road and and putting in good performances. We just need to be more consistent with it, and yeah, it's it's tough to put your finger on, but it it just comes down to all of us needing to be more consistent and um, you know, kind of rising to the occasion a, a little bit more. Axel and and Vanny, they've made so much about the slow start last year and being great for the last twenty six games and that wanting to get off to a fast start this year, which obviously hasn't happened yet, but I mean, arguably, we should have four points on the board. So, I mean, you could look at it that way as well. But knowing that that was the the case last year, does it put more pressure on the team when these wins aren't coming? It is a long season. There's extra playoff places at stake now. But is there a, is there a feeling of, not panic because it's so early, but do you, are you feeling a pressure right now? Um. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't say it's it's a panic, but it's in the back of our heads knowing that, you know, we went on a really good run on the last 26 games and we we left it down to the last game to, to give ourselves a shot again in the playoffs. And we know that we don't want to be in that situation again. So we know that getting points early is going to be important. And, you know, we need to start with that on, on Saturday against Dallas, getting points on the board because we can't leave it late again and ask so much of each other and ourselves so yeah we're definitely going to need to I would say the performances we've had in the in the first 45 minutes of the games we need to carry them on to the second half and um, and start getting results sooner rather than later As a player what, what do you make of the new playoff format this year like the best of three hopefully is what we're, we're going to find our, ourselves in but like what do you make of that? Uh, I'm not crazy on it to be honest I don't like the whole 
what is it now ninth place also makes it yeah so eight eight and ninth will play off to get in and then once you're in the top eight it's a best of three series which i i'm not a fan of either to be honest i, I, I loved the, the straight knockout i thought it was exciting yeah i thought so too um and yeah I just, it's just the fact for me um maybe you know coming from british football and european football where it's just a straight off league and then here you know you can finish in so you could finish in ninth and still win come the end. It's a bit, it's a bit strange. And yeah, the best of three, I, I, I liked the single knockout as well. I think it made, made that a one-off game and it made it really exciting. But yeah, we'll see how, we'll see how things go this year. We just need to make sure that we're, we're there, and then we can say how we feel from being there instead of, you know, just from the outside. Yeah, I mean potentially, if if it's a good season, you could find yourself playing over fifty games. Does that excite you or does that make you think, geez, my body's going to be like shot at the end of this? Uh, no, I think it's a good thing. You know, we all want to, if you ask any player, what would they rather, um, less games, more training or uh, more games, less training? You're always going to take more games. Um, and at the end of the day, the more games that we're playing, it means we're being more successful. So I think if you ask everyone, you know, we want to be playing as many games as possible and, uh, also, we've got a, a pretty big squad as well, so you know we're all ready for it, and we know it's going to be a long season. Everyone's going to be called upon, so um, you know, as long as as long as we play as many games as possible, and it means we're winning, then I think everyone's going to be happy. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, four different competitions the, this year. Um, this will come out after the first leg of the Real España game, but. How much does Champions League excite you? Because I know you never got to to play in that or the Europa League over in Europe. So is this like just a whole experience that you're looking forward to? Yeah, I'm looking forward to the experience of it. Um, obviously, it's a little bit different as well in terms of it's just straight knockout games and it's not the group stages like you get in, in Europe. But uh, it's still exciting nonetheless. And, um, you know, we're all really looking forward to the, the challenge that's ahead and you know the the possibility that we're gonna get to to maybe play against teams from different different countries and go and see what their style of play is like and test ourselves. It's it's really exciting and you know hopefully we can get through these uh, first games against España and you know see what comes from there. I don't know how much of like Concacaf football you've seen over the year, but. It's it can be different. I'm trying to pick my words nicely, but basically, it's like some of the refereeing's like all over the place, and some of the atmospheres are are interesting. What? I like have, the noise. Yeah, I mean, have have you got in your head what you're expecting in Honduras? Uh, we know it's going to be that's going to be a difficult one because obviously the the temperatures and humidity and stuff it's going to be a bit it's going to be a bit wild, <laughs> um, but. At the same time, it's exciting, you know, to get to go and uh, test ourselves like that. You know, a few of the guys were saying um, that have played down there in Canada, youth teams or whatever, um, they've played in Central America, like how tough the conditions are. So um, that I think that puts a little bit more emphasis on tomorrow as well to, for us to, to get a result. Um, and yeah, it's just an exciting time. It's going to be exciting to to get the opportunity to go down there and test ourselves 
What would you say is the toughest place you've ever played in? I, I didn't get a chance to look at where you'd played for with Scotland in under-19 and under-21, but like, where would you think is the toughest place that you can remember playing in? In terms of like atmosphere or... Yeah, just kind of like everything. everything like logistics them. and just the, the crowd um... atmosphere and maybe weather, just anything really. Like if you were to look back and you think, oh, do you know what, that was probably one of the the worst places I, I think I've played. Where would that be? In terms of like atmosphere and stuff, I've Benfica and Porto are mm. like, very intimidating. Um because you feel like every time you you touch the ball, you know you've got all these people. Everyone's against you, and that's the atmosphere. And come from there to here is completely different. Uh, the same with Celtic Park, actually, in in Scotland. Uh, but I think over here, you know, it's different. The humidity down in Texas is, I would say, it's tougher than the altitude in like Colorado. Uh, Houston's Houston's maybe the toughest conditions I've played in so far. Just that humidity killed me. That's a tough. Aye. It's like I I want to go down to as many stadiums as possible, and I've not been to any of the Texas ones. Cause I think the weather's going to kill me if I go down there. Like I want to see Austin Stadium. It looks amazing. Yeah. It's at the same time, I don't think I can handle all the heat. Um. Last thing, you're wearing the captain's armband this year. What What does that mean to you? And how do you do you approach the games any different, your mindset, or is it just you, you've always been a leader on the park and it just comes natural to you? Yeah, I don't think I've changed anything um, about me in particular. Um, you know, it's just I I try and kind of lead by example on the pitch. I'm not the kind of I'm not the kind of guy that's gonna you know slaughter people and go through people all the time, but. I, I try to help everyone as much as I can on the pitch and that's something I, I feel like I've always tried to do, um, you know, whether I'm a captain or not. And yeah, just trying to trying to help the team as much as I can and, um, you know, help the boys in any way possible and maybe it adds a little bit more responsibility in terms of, um, you know, doing my job on the pitch, but uh, I would say I welcome that. That's superb. I will let you go now. The last interview I did was for my East Fife podcast with a guy that played against you in the 2012 Youth Cup final. He was between of the South. You were playing oh, for Dundee beat, United. Beat 5-4. Uh, he said you guys yeah. were in control and then you got taken off and then they went and won. <laughs> I think they scored twice. I, was, I think I was 15 year old. I wasn't ready for extra time. My body couldn't handle that. <laughs> So, uh, he said to mention that the next time I spoke to you so. aye, brilliant, thanks for reminding me <laughs> anyway, cheers so much Ryan um, let you go get your lunch and yeah, good good luck tomorrow against Espana and good luck on Saturday against Dallas cheers mate, thanks very much cheers man, take care, bye Great stuff from Ryan there. And, I mean, it's wonderful to hear that he holds himself to such high standards. He knows it's on him. I think he does feel a little bit of the pressure on his shoulders that if he performs, the team performs. And for me right now, him and Julian Gressel, the two standout performers for the Whitecaps this year, 
He's looking forward to that trip to Honduras. Not sure that he's going to start that game, but just to get that whole Champions League experience. He didn't get to experience the Champions League or the Europa League over in Europe. So this is going to be a great occasion for him. And let's hope he can just get up and running, get some more assists, get some goals on the board and have the, the season that we all know that he is capable of. But that is it for the Whitecaps chat for the show. We've saved the last part to talk about one of the big talking points in Canadian soccer this week. And that was the four Canadian women's national team players that headed to Ottawa to take part and give testimony to the Standing Committee on Canadian Heritage on Thursday. And we'll be back dissecting some of what came out of that after this. Hi, I'm Stephanie LeVay, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the final part of this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, from Glasgow, Scotland, it's a new wave duo, with a song taken from their only studio album that was released in 1985, a self-titled affair. This was a single that was released the year before, 1984, reached number five in the UK charts, The band is called Strawberry Switchblade. The song, Since Yesterday, after playing Got Got Need in the last part with their song Times of Yesterday, I thought, oh, what are the yesterday songs, is there? And then this one immediately popped into my head. Really catchy number. The band known for wearing their polka dot dresses. It's a great song. A lot of you have probably never heard this in your life, but check them out. Very good band from the 80s. So, for this final part of the show, I, I don't know how long this part could go on for. I mean, this this could be a nice, succinct 20 minutes. It could be a ranty 40. It could be a super ranty hour. Let's just see where it takes us, Zach. Because we're going to, to talk about the four women's national team players that headed to Ottawa on Thursday to give testimony to the Standing Committee 
on Canadian heritage at the, the Parliament in Ottawa. Janine Becky, Christine Sinclair, Sophie Schmidt and Quinn taking part in that committee meeting. Now, I, I want to start this section, and I think it's important to do this, by reiterating that we 100% back the Canadian Women National Team's quest for pay equality and fair treatment from the CSA. We back the men as well in their pay dispute. I don't think it needs saying, but I just want to reiterate that because this is this has become such a a fractious topic, Zach. And I I've read a lot of stuff online. I listened to the Footy Prime podcast because you had said you'd listen to it. And you said, "Oh, you, you should listen to that." So I had a listen to that, and I mean they they, they said the same thing. That the 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 danger that I I see in this just now is the way that some of the messaging is getting skewed. It's certain quarters, and not everyone, and certainly not the women, but it's kind of skewing it that it's a battle between the women's national team and the men's national team, as well as the battle between the women's national team and the CSA. That is not good for anyone. This sport just now needs to be united. The men and the women's national teams need to be united. The national team and the domestic game needs to be united. And something I learned very early on after moving to Canada is the Canadian game is just full of self-interests and unification. It's not really a word that I think you can use too often, Zach, to, to describe Canadian soccer. No, I mean, not at all. I mean, you don't have to be in the uh, in the community long to see that. And yeah, I think even just my conversation the other day with David Osted about, you know, what's the best for the game and how how things can be done or should be done for the betterment of the players and for efficiency and with funds being spent the right kind of way when it comes to player development and all that kind of stuff. Uh, it was just a reminder of, you know, uh, some of the uphill battles we have with the, with the game here and how people will do all that they can to hold on to their piece of the pie, if you will. Um, and, and it, that might not be what's best for the, for the growth of the, of the game. And yeah, I just to, just to reiterate what you said, like, yeah, I long for these, uh, the same things. I long for the pay equity. That's great. Or, or pay equality, paying the same thing, being treated in the same way, having the same kind of, uh, benefits and preparation and all these things. I think they're essential, uh, for both the men's and the women's team. There are so many layers to this conversation and they're, I think, one of the hard parts of this, Michael, which we, we've talked about even before these issues, is that we're talking about international football, but we're talking about men's and women's international football. And these are, this is not an apples to apples. Everything can't be compared yeah, yeah. apples they're, to apples. They're, they're very different animals. And the women's game is growing around the world and it's fantastic to see. But they are not going to catch up the men that's been going and had more investment and everything for so much longer 
as quickly as a lot of folk are are, are wanting to uh, to catch up. I'm not saying that's right. It's just that's the it's the reality. It's where the money in the game is just now. Just like a, a fledgling league, I don't know, it's the, the Dutch league, the Belgium league. It's not going to catch up with La Liga, Serie A, the Premiership, because those other leagues have had more investment and more money put into them o- over the years. The, the topics that are up for discussion in general, but at this committee meeting, uh, they're huge issues. And I think they're ones that I, I hope everyone is fully behind. And it, it basically boils down to three things, really. Equality, equity, and safe sport. Now, one of the issues I had with this committee meeting, Zach, was because they were covering all three issues in the one meeting, it felt like it was all over the place. It was a, a mishmash of raising all the different concerns at different times and different questions. I I would much rather have had three sessions, one for each of those topics, either on the same day or on different days, where each topic is looked at fully, explored fully, discussed properly, with all the issues together in one segment, so to speak. Otherwise, stuff gets lost. And I think that was a danger in this. Because it was all over the place, people that aren't as clued in in the game here are going to have come away from that thinking, what was all that about at times? Oh, absolutely. And and to be fair, there is some crossover, but I think yeah. right. um, even as you went, you know, parliamentarian to parliamentarian, they were asking about completely different things without... Um, even maybe clarifying that they that they were shifting gears. So if you were watching and you, you if the, the the general Canadian public, if they were watching this, uh, I think might have been very not confused. But you're right. There's such a wide breadth of things being talked about. It would have been better to maybe focus them in, or even within the meeting, saying even within the hearing, if you're if you're going to do just one hearing, say okay, we are first only going to take questions about you know uh, safe sport or whatever. Next, we're only only about equal equality, equity, whatever, and break it in down that way. Um, Cause it was a little bit too, like, uh, it was like throwing darts at a dartboard. It was kind of like everywhere. Um, oh, not if you're a good dart player. Right. Right. Totally. <laughs> and these people in the committee were not good dart players. Not good dart players, man. No. Oh yeah. They were not. Now, good. I, I don't take much interest in Canadian politics until one of the parties comes out with a firm stance on Scottish independence. I, I don't really have a lot of interest. Plus, you guys don't let me vote, which I think is shocking. Well, do you have to become a citizen, right? Yeah, but I should I pay my taxes. I should be allowed to vote. Caitlin was allowed to vote in Scotland, and she wasn't a, a Scottish citizen. Yeah, but that, they'll take anyone. Yeah, right? that is very true. But yeah, I, I don't take a lot of interest in Canadian politics. So I haven't watched one of these kind of committee meetings but a lot of folk told me afterwards, oh, this is typical stuff from Canadian government committee meetings where clueless people are asking questions about topics that they don't know very much about, but they feel that they should do their grandstanding or they feel that this is something that they should get behind and they don't really know what they are talking about. For example, a lot of folk have talked 
talk to me about one of the guys asking the questions was the house father. And I was like, is that like Dobby the house elf from Harry Potter? <laughs> I was I was very, very confused with with, with that. He reminded me, actually, now that I think of it, quite a bit of, of Dobby the, the house elf from Harry Potter. <laughs> I, I've been playing my Hogwarts legacy game. That might be just why that isn't in my head. But, I mean, this meeting started off in a bad way when you've got Christine Sinclair, one of the best players, male or female, that Canada has ever produced, saying that Nick Bontis sits at a meeting saying to her, what was it Christine was bitching about again? Now, you knew things were not going to go well for the CSA from from right after that, and it started to unravel for them, rightly so, because that is absolutely scandalous for him to say that to her while she's sitting there. I, I, I thought a lot of this at times, Zach, was, was farcical. Not from the, the women's testimony at all. I thought they gave good succinct answers there was a few things though that they clearly didn't weren't expecting questions on or didn't have the answers for or gave wrong answers um when asked about for example some and stuff but we'll we'll come to that but it, it was farcical because the mps were grandstanding they simply did not understand how football works how world football works I'd go as far as to question how many of them have actually seen a football game in their life. Yeah, no, that that, that was fair. That, that's fair. I think, yeah, the grandstanding and the some of the the yeah the way they made some statements and posed some of their questions was yeah just um, showed their lack of understanding of both football and in some of the some of the specific some of the topics at hand. Which oh, was, yeah, like Canada's yeah. hosting two games in the 2026 World Cup, one in Vancouver and one in Toronto. Yeah, that was, yeah, don't get me started. Uh, oh, I, I will be getting you started when I'll be mentioning things like the players should be the ones that select their own coach. <laughs> did you get consulted on that? Why did you not help pick the coach that you wanted that would maybe uh, play you because of your chum? Oh, my. Or, hey, this organization that's been elected to make business decisions and agree deals, did they ask you if you liked this deal that they signed? Uh, yeah, there was, a, there was a number of statements like that that were just... I have had folk, though, come back merciful. to me and say, why shouldn't they? They should be allowed to make those decisions. No, they shouldn't. I don't care that this isn't a business and it's a non-profit. I worked for a non-profit. We did not ask all the, the volunteers at our non-profit, hey, should we do this? Yeah, no, I, I think... Yeah, I, again, I think there's some of their understanding of uh, of how the national teams work and how national teams in general work. Uh, is, it was just really off base. I, I like in a normal scenario, I could see like the federation being like, "Hey, like Christine, you're our captain. Uh, we're thinking about hiring person X. What do you think?" Kind of thing. But definitely, you don't survey the whole squad and be like, "Hey, what do yeah, you? Yeah. You know, this is what we're gonna do." Or, or yeah, they made it sound like, "Hey, were you invited to the job interviews for the coach?" <laughs> like. It was, it was, it was really, it was, it was really bad. There was, there was a number of things that were just, yeah, really, just, it was, it was frustrating. And having listened to some people's um, comments about it all have also kind of just been frustrating to see the misunderstanding or the, or the, uh, the, uh, some of the approaches taken to it all. But um, 
I think the, yeah, the someone is a, is, a, is a classic example. Even the mm-hmm. even the players who, who to be fair, they didn't know anything about the CSB, even though it was like reported on when everything was happening with the CSB, and they didn't know it. They didn't know it, anything about it until it, until they felt it impacted their lives. Um, which is I, that's not a. I'm not saying that in a bad way. Just that's factually kind of how they they've talked yeah, about yeah. it. That that is also uh, factually how a lot of people are with a lot of things yes. in the world. So. But um, when they were talking about some, they had no idea what they're talking about. And they had, they yeah. talked about how they talked about how, Oh, it's been gone for a while and it's been gone because it's, it's not right. It's kind of the insinuation <laughs> yeah. they made. It which ended is not- at the end of 2022 for one thing. The, exactly. The deal that they had with the USSF. Exactly. And then my understanding was it 2022 or 2021. They made the decision in 2021. 21, the deal right, okay. ran until the end of 2022. And then my understanding is that the U.S. soccer did that because they felt like they could make more money themselves. Yep, because I, some had served its purpose of 20 yes, years of existence and exactly. growing the game and getting MLS off the ground and helping the national team. And helping the national team. So they thought they could take it over, take over those things themselves now. But my, and I haven't I haven't done all the deep, deep diving on this, is that it's not going as super well, them running it on their own so far, mm. or there's been some issues or they're not uh, projected to make nearly as much as they did when it was a part of some, partly because uh, some packages it together with things like MLS rights and all that kind yep. of stuff. And now that so, MLS has gone the Apple route, it's all, it's all yeah. fractured. Yeah. And so I've heard some people say that actually, you know, ML, uh, USSF is going to take a huge loss I don't know if it's this year or they took one last year or whatever in the anticipation of them taking over these things on their own. So um, it's not all as simple as, as people think. And again, the, 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 the this was one, one area where the, the, the four players in the hearing didn't, uh, didn't, didn't themselves didn't understand the facts, didn't understand the history and don't even, uh, or, or either won't admit to or don't really understand the actual role. And and this is one of the big problems in this. And again, it goes back to what you said at the very beginning of this conversation, Michael, is that what does the what does Canada soccer exist to do? They exist to grow, develop, and uh, provide oversight for the game in Canada. And all these decisions, and they've made some like they've made some bad decisions, sure. They made some bad decisions there. Maybe they look bad in hindsight. They made some bad decisions at the time. Absolutely. The Nike deal was a bad decision at the time. Uh, I think most people would say they feel the CSB deal is a bad decision in hindsight, even though I think that's personally, I think that's debatable. Um, uh, But they do, they did all these things, especially the CSB thing, especially uh, CPL. They did them all to grow the game in our country. Mm -hmm. If those things don't happen, the game is still years behind where it could be and where it should be and the other thing i want to say is this and this and maybe this is something you want to talk about later but i'm going to say it now is it's the same with the women's game like i use this illustration recently recently in communication with some some friends about something else but um there's a lot of things michael in life that i'm not good at uh but i wish i was okay things like art music cooking right like i wish i was better at those things i wish i you know took the time and energy and whatever to be better at those things i'm not Another thing that I'm not good at, Michael, is gardening. Okay, I don't, I don't. I, where I, I live now, if I put a garden that would grow fruit in my backyard, it would be eaten by all the amazing wildlife that lives really close to my backyard. So we don't do that. My wife's done some things on the windowsill and some sage here and some herbs there and whatever, but um, not not in the way I would like to. Not like my grandparents who had a huge like my grandparents. You know, come from Europe, like they converted almost their whole backyard into a, into a giant 
you know, vegetable garden. But I, what I do know about gardening is that you do a lot of work to till the soil, to make the soil right. So maybe there's bad stuff in the soil or rocks or whatever, clay or whatever, and you got to have the right kind of soil. So you got to cultivate that soil that takes a lot of work, that takes a lot of time. And then I know that when you plant a seed, there's a period of time where you don't see all the things that are happening. There's all these things that are happening under, under the soil before, you know, the thing, the, the seed germinates and then, and not just germinates, but germinates to a point where it can break the break ground and come above and be seen. And, and then you're like, aha, you know, like that moment in the movie Martian where, you know, Matt Damon's farming potatoes in his own, you know, stuff and whatever. And he, and he walks by the thing and he goes back and he, oh, he sees like, you know, the, the, the potato plant has broken through the soil and it's starting to grow. And he, he knew it was growing, but he, now he can see it growing. And my, my position, my perspective on, uh, the uh, the growth of of women's football in our country, and in particular when it comes to having a women's league in our country, is that there are things that are happening that people can't see, or that people don't know about, that people can't talk about because they're in progress. And to say that CPL and the CSA and the CSB have done nothing, I think is is uh, doesn't create the right picture, because I know people in the CPL who have been working at it who are trying to work at it, who are trying to make it a part of what this is because they believe in it and because they believe it needs to happen. And so when some of these people talk about, talk, talk, talk negatively about what the CSA, or when they say the CSA has done nothing, I think that that's a little bit at least unfair um, because they are, they are working towards something. The, the Project 8 thing, I think, is... Um, both good and unfortunate. It's unfortunate because it feels like it's the exact same thing that happened with those teams, uh, you know, uh, in, uh, you know. Oh, in the prairies. That in the prairies. Today. Who said, we're going to yeah. have a Division Two in Canada. And they went out publicly said, we're having press releases, we're having a Division Two, But they never got sanctioned. They were never sanctioned. And it's the same thing with Project 8. And I know Project 8 is working towards sanctioning. But it's the same kind of thing where they're coming out and they're saying, we don't care about what the rules are. We're going to do whatever we want because we think it's best because we don't see what's happening. And I, and I have real concerns that either with Project 8, either it's not going to come to fruition uh, as their own thing in the way they want it to be, or that it will only come to fruition if uh, only it will only come to fruition with a few like a, a, with um, with uh, in conjunction with what this the Canadian a soccer association association is trying to work at and what uh you know the cpl is trying to have trying to trying to have in terms of uh having a women's league as a part of their whole structure the same way that they have with league one bc which they own and run and operate and the same way which they have with bc league one which they don't yet own but that's i think the long-term plan that's the ultimate right? plan yeah so um yeah i think yeah uh, anyways there's some things in this this thing that really we're really really frustrating even though my goal my end goal and like you said your end goal is that they would get these things that these things would happen um but yeah there's some yeah some frustrations about how some of this is all playing out i guess if i keep your gardening analogies going my idea of perfect gardening is i look to see what my neighbor is growing and it's like, oh, their carrots look very good. I'm just going to take those carrots, and those carrots are now mine. And I guess that's how CSB have viewed all the money coming in from the national team. 
I know. I just wanted to get that well, guy again. No, but that's the thing, though. There was no money coming in. No, for, I, I know. I know. I just I, they, I thought I'd put that. The, the whole CSB thing is is Canada soccer, for whatever. And we've said this a million times before. And we'll probably say it a number of times until this all comes to a head or to, to, to get sorted out or whatever, is the Canadian Soccer Association was losing money, having to pay money. Mm-hmm. The, the evolution of the CSB was something that guaranteed them income from things that they were losing. So they turned a negative in their in their financials, you know, negative hundreds of thousands of dollars into positive millions, right? Like that's the should it be more? Okay, that's the other conversation. That's the conversation that 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 can be had. But was the deal uh, horrendous when they made it? I don't. I personally don't believe so. And like we said, it was all impacted. By the men qualifying for for the World Cup, yeah. The, the there was a, a couple of things from the committee that I I felt that the politicians are are clearly looking for from it. Uh, now, yeah. before I even get into that, what is the purpose of these meetings? What is the end goal of it? What are the what's the ultimate, what's everyone trying to achieve? Is it fair pay and equity and equality? What What is the actual point of this? Well, that's, a, I mean, yeah, for the, the, are you talking about for the committee or for the players? For, for the committee, it's like, why are they having this? What are they hoping to achieve at the end of I, it? I don't know, I guess to put pressure on to make uh, their values a reality? I don't know, is that fair? I don't know. I yeah, because I, I just, I it's just something that's just hit me just now. I'm like, we're talking about this, and actually, I I don't know what the end goal of this is. But that, there are a couple of things that became glaringly obvious during yeah. this. One of them was the politicians want to have Victor Montagliani in front of them. Oh yeah. And they gave the women several opportunities to name him, and they didn't. And they didn't. But they did say, oh, if there's any other names you think of, uh, you can get in touch after. Well, the one, after at the, the end, the one guy just asked, was it was it the house guy the dobby yeah yeah he just he just asked i think right i think you just named him possibly i think because then yeah. by that point it was like you haven't said what we want you to do yeah we haven't said what we want you to say so we're going to say it but the, the other thing that was obvious is they're wanting to explore the finances of the csa and csb now csa as a non-profit they they can have audits they can look at all that csb is a private business it's up to them if they want to yeah. open their books up or, or yeah. not and CSB have come out and said that they're happy to renegotiate part of the, the deal to provide incremental funding to Canada Soccer. Not that they're going to rip up the deal. And, I mean, for me, the ideal thing with the CSB deal, and I know why it wasn't agreed back then, and we, we won't go over old things again, but... I don't think the national team should have been part of the CSB deal. I think it just should just have been domestic football. But I do get why they needed that, because that's where a lot of the money's coming in from the sponsors and everything like that at all. And I, I, I tweeted this after Scott Mitchell from Forge and the, the Tiger Cats had tweeted about the investment that they've put into it. These owners would have been stupid not to have put this to the C CSA, Canada Soccer, to agree to this. So mm -hmm. you can be mad 
at the owners, you can be mad at the CSB deal getting done, but they were doing it so that the Canadian Premier League was sustainable. If you want to get mad at anyone, it's the CSA for agreeing to it and the way that they agreed to it. I think it's pretty clear that the Canadian Premier League would not have survived through COVID without the CSB deal being in place. And even with that, they are losing yeah. six-figure sums on a yearly basis. Now, folk have said to me, if the league's not sustainable, you shouldn't be needing money to prop it up. And if you are needing money to prop it up, then just let it fold. That but just puts a... everything backwards. Yeah, well, that's the thing. When you... <laughs> You, you needed people who were willing to say, I, I'm going to invest, even though this is going to take time to turn a profit. And the CSB deal is something that, again, they didn't expect it till 2026 to help, to, to really help them. It made it so that even if we lose our shirt for, it was signed in 2017, even if we lose our shirt for nine years, we know that in the 10th year, we should, we should get like some kind of significant benefit. Yeah. Now again, all that was sped up by the men qualifying for the men's World Cup. Yeah, um, and it, it, it brought more interest in the game than ever before. I've talked several times about all these people that have suddenly appeared on conference calls that were never yeah, around never. and had never even heard us. Most of these people, and it's like, oh, they're they're on calls now and they're getting to ask questions ahead of me. But I, I think the ideal thing is the CSB handles CPL, League One, all that kind of stuff. And the thing is, I know there's not a lot of money there. That's the problem. It would be good if the national teams could sort out their own TV rights, player compensation for jersey sales. And I, I said this at the time, and I'm going to say this again, I don't think it was right that the CSA agreed a deal with Fonzie and only Fonzie because that splits your negotiating. And I just don't, for me, that comes from a union background and equality and stuff. That's not on. And if you're going to do that, you do it with Sync as well, because Sync is the the player that's been the, the standard bearer for Canadian soccer of any sex, any gender, for for umpteen years now, right. and she hasn't got these I, benefits. So I I, I didn't I, like that. I don't disagree with you, Michael, but I think they had to do that. Because it was Alfonso's Davies representatives that said we're suing you. Oh yeah, if you don't do something. So yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like they were like, oh, we should we should sort out some image rights. Let's just start with Fonzie. It oh was no, like, they yeah, have to. They yeah, have we should, to, we right? should stress that. Yeah, but I, I mean, when it comes to a women's league, again, I personally feel it is the national association's duty. Yeah. To provide a domestic league for men and women, and Canada soccer has failed in that. And you, we can look at all the reasons as to, to why that hasn't happened. Like, the onus isn't on MLS clubs to make sure that they provide a women's team because the MLS clubs are a private business. If, if they want to, great. And, like, we had a little chat about about this when, when we were talking yesterday. Like, Greg Carefoot mm. gets a lot of criticism. Greg rightly, Carefoot, rightly so. Rightly so yeah, for something. Yes. Yep. But the investment that he's put in to like residency programs for youth development of both sexes and for the money that he's put into the women's game over the years has been absolutely phenomenal and to 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 kind of have little snarky comments from the the politician's side about oh they've needed private funding to do this this and this yes they have needed private funding but without that private funding the women would not have had a lot of what they had up to this point. 
Well, that's that's part of the thing. The, the, those four players are sitting there, and at least a couple of them, I think, referenced maybe with Sophie. I think referenced, you know, we had these residency, you know, camps, and if it wasn't for this, I would never have, you know, been as close, mm-hmm. or I would have never have been have been identified, or I would never have the opportunities I had. Well, those residency camps were like fully funded by Kerfoot, if my memory serves me correctly. So you can't talk about, hey, why can't... I remember that they've also said as well, sorry to cut you off, that there was a private donor that helped him this trip to Brazil. Now, they didn't say it was Kerfoot, but I mean, immediately I thought, I wonder if that's Greg Kerfoot. So you can't talk about how the federations, only about what they're spending, only uh, how they're spending the money. How come no one in these things has said, what how are these things uh, like what other sources of income are coming in in terms of mm-hmm. um the, like, who's donating like yeah. you know what i mean and it's not right it shouldn't take a private individual to fund all this well it should it should it shouldn't but that's it's been like that so like i mean it's and, but it's not even just the women my understanding is john herman in the last whatever mm-hmm. year or two years has done a whole bunch of you know, passing the hat to people he thought, I mean, maybe Kerfoot's one of them, passing the hat to people saying, hey, can you help us so to help in their World Cup preparations so that they could, um, the preparations could be all that they could be, right? And I think, I'm guessing he probably did that when he was the coach of the women's team as well. So there's there's a, there's a one sense that, you know, I know the, what, part of what the women were saying is we don't have what we used to have. And part of my my, my question is, was what you used to have, was it only possible because of exterior funding and nothing to do with the CSA revenues or lack thereof or whatever? And so is it fair to expect those things or are we not asking those people to think? Because when you talk about Kerfer, yeah, you can't say you can't. I mean, he's invested so much in, in football, like you can't take that away from him. But when you talk about women's football, and you talk about Greg Kerfoot, you also can't help but talk about, which they did in the hearings a little yep. bit about a uh, scandal around those teams. Mm-hmm. So he is tied to those scandals, whatever you think about him or whatever you think about his involvement or lack thereof or whatever. Um, and I won't comment on that right, right now, but whatever you think about that, it's tied to that. Right. And so there is maybe because of that, he has stepped back from all that. Right. That might be a reason you see though, his club now is, um, going out of their way to try and repair the damage they've done in the women's community because there's a huge uh there's been huge backlash against them in these last yep. three years right or four four years now i guess four years um because because of the scandals and because of what's what's come out and what, because of what's you know been brought to light and so they have worked really hard so this project eight thing uh, they're a part of it, I think, partly because they're trying to repair their reputation in that community. Mm-hmm. They hire Steph Labbe because they're trying to re- repair the damage that they've that, that's been done to their reputation in that community. And feel they're, credit to them as well because it's totally. like that. It's smart because you, you also have to ask the question as well. When the the White Caps folded their women's team in 2012, ten years have passed, mm-hmm. and there's not been another pro team starting Canada. There's not been a Canadian NWSL team. There's not been a pro league. Now, there's got to be a reason for that, that that it hasn't happened. And like you can say it's a variety of reasons. CSA mismanagement. And I do firmly believe they should have made sure, no matter what, that there was a women's league of some kind, of some level nationwide in Canada, because that is their role to do that, to provide that place to play. Other smaller countries around the world are, are able to 
to to do that. But when it comes to talking about money, which a lot of this committee meeting is obviously about money and compensation and where's money going and what's coming in and what's being spent on what and are, are people getting disadvantaged? There's a reason there's not been a women's league and it's like, is it financially viable or are they going to lose money? And if they are going to lose money, it's like why the CPL has lost money and that's why the CSB to prop it up. So there's money that comes in from the Olympics and the on the podium, which was mentioned a hell of a lot. and Which was another awkward part of the thing. I mean, I, I don't understand the Olympics funding side of it, so I'm not going to sit here and try and pretend I know what I'm talking about. I don't know, do they fund the flights to the Olympics? Do they fund training? Do they do this or whatever? I mean, it was mentioned that they would have to meddle to keep getting their funding as if that was a bad thing. But that's how it works with all Olympic sports to the the brief understanding that I have of it. That if you're not performing in a sport, I know that's how it works in the UK Olympic anyway, that if a sport is not performing and not meddling and not doing well, then you direct the funds to somewhere else. Yeah, which is... Which that, that was uh, that was an awkward part for me. Yeah, when they talked about the Canadian Olympic Committee, the COC, and it sounded and maybe I'm misunderstanding what they said, but it sounded like they said that the COC said to them, "If you don't medal, your funding will be cut or limited or or whatever." Mm-hmm. Which again, that whole program is about trying to fund uh, excellence to gain achievement or whatever. So to have them say that if you don't if you don't medal your funding could go down. It seems one logical. And then two, you had this other layer of this modern mental health element of like, Oh, can you imagine all the stress and whatever that puts on extra stress that puts on the players? Well, in the one sense of the, Hey, they're having issues with their association and private funding and whatever. I can understand that it would be a a bigger burden, but it's also on the other, in another sense, it also is, this is competitive sport. Like that's what yeah. happened. Like, this is the same for a cyclist, for a snowboarder. Yeah, they've got that stress as well. That if they're not performing, they might lose their funding, and they yeah. have to go out and get private funding. That's how sport works. And this was a fundamental flaw of this committee. They don't seem and, to understand how football works or how yeah. sport works. And that, and that also, that element, and this is where my understanding might be off base. Is like that has nothing to do with Canada soccer. That has everything to do yeah. with the Canadian Olympic Committee. Yeah. So, that, but this that is another been, part of this. How it's all a mishmash. They're, they're throwing too many yeah. things, and into, that should have been into made, one hearing. And I think that should have been clarified, right? Because if that committee was, uh, and it felt like they were, if members of that committee were uh, disturbed by that finding or by that fact, that's something to take up with the Canadian Olympic Committee. Nothing to do with Canada soccer. I mean. I, I would rather pull my teeth out than have to rewatch that oh, hearing, I've got to say. But it would be interesting to go back to see how many times they were like shocked or said unbelievable or, or something like that. And trying to work out how much was actually genuine that they were like that or it was just they felt that that's what they needed to say. I also don't know how many times you had to thank the women for turning up as well. It yeah. was That kind of then just took it. <laughs> yeah, because they kept on saying it. Like even when they came back to them for yeah. another time, like, I just want to say again, in case you didn't hear the first time, Yeah, thank you for being here. It's like, I feel I have to say this because I'm trying to earn politician points here. 
Yeah, yeah, it was weird. What I don't want to happen, and what I fear is going to happen, is there's going to be a wedge driven between the men and the women's game in Canada, as well as the national team and the domestic game. Uh, when you have issues raised, and like none of this is the fault of the women either. The only criticism I would say of the women is it took them maybe 70, 80 minutes, maybe even 90 minutes to raise the fact that the men's budget had been cut as well. Mm. And it wasn't just the women's budget. And I think that should have been clarified right from the start. But the politicians were trying to drive this wedge. Little mm. snarky comments like, oh, where oh, are yeah. the women ranked uh, in well, FIFA well, rankings? And where are the men ranked? Well, th th and that comes back to the fact that this is apples and oranges, yeah. right? You like you can't compare, you can't compare the FIFA rankings for the two teams when the this this the football is so different, right? The football mm -hmm. landscapes are so different. And, and how team, many how many actual teams could win the made these major tournaments in the women's game and the men's game? That's another yeah, that's another element to it. I think too the the lack of uh, one of the issues that impacts this all and impacts. You know something else, which I think we'll talk about in a moment, is the is it's not the pay equality, right? Like it's so the CSA has come out and said, you know, we're going to pay the players the same for each game, whatever. Um, I think there's a caveat, you know, depending on the level of the opponent or something. But that that's the uh, bonus side. The so bonus they'll, side, they'll right. get the okay. same the win game, bonus. game day, right. and I think that is a hundred percent right. They should. Yeah, that's Men, great. Women, the, if the, you're playing. For your country, it's a set pay structure. Awesome. And, yeah. The, the, the problem is then you have number of games and you have the actual cost yes. in these games. This is a, a huge, huge thing that they apparently are not happy with the CSA's uh, answers to the, these questions. Um, because, I mean, anyone who's watched the, the men's and women's national team for the last 10 or even 20 years, their schedules, their cycles are so, so different, right? Like, I remember there was a time where it was like, it felt like the Canadian, because, and this is partly due to the fact that the club game for women is not as developed as the men's game. And so for most of the, most of the women players in the world, especially in North America, uh, they make most of their money from playing for their national teams, or they make more money playing for their national teams than they do for their their club teams now that's beginning to change and for especially our players who are playing in europe i think that uh, there is a considerable amount of growth there and, and that's encouraging and hopefully that trend continues especially as more and more european sides i think um value women's teams invest in them um and grow their uh the fullness of their club to in incorporate both men and women um but the cycles are different women used to play it felt like 20 to 25 games a year or something crazy where yeah. the men would play like like four or six or eight or whatever it was and what happened though in this lot again with this the craziness of, this is partly due to covid but the craziness of the men's world cup qualifying is the men which were supposed to have a crazy route which would have been like a ton of games also <laughs> yeah. they, they it still ended up being more games than they usually play in a year right because they had what was it 14 games in qualifying well yeah so i i, I looked at what games the men and the women played in 2021 and 2022 because a lot was made of 2013 to 2019 right the game world game has changed a lot after covid so i yeah. think it's worth looking at modern day and the, these are going to fluctuate because the 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 women feel that they're going to be hard done by and not make as much money in 2021 
the men played 19 matches to the women's 17. In 2022, the women played two more, 14 to the men's 12. In 2021, the men played zero friendlies, whereas of the, the women's thing, they had a lot of friendlies in there because the, their only main competition was the Olympics. So a big chunk of this is the international calendar. Yeah. And yet CONCACAF has been slow to add more competitive games for women. But aren't they getting a Nations League? They're getting Nations League, they're getting uh, the Gold Cup now. So they're, right. they're getting these things, but it's been slow. And, and who's and who's doing that, Michael, for CONCACAF? No, it's Victor Montpellier, right? I I personally differentiate between friendlies and competitive games. Totally, but, as you should. Yeah, but they are still playing games, and it's not the women's fault that they haven't got competitive games to play. They have to go and find these friendlies because they've been failed in having a proper competitive system but you've also got the men's path to the world cup takes them all over the place yeah so this is a huge difference between in, the... in 2022 the men played in nine different countries nine for their 12 matches and the women played in five from their 14 so the men's world cup thing is a two-year cycle and it takes them all over the caribbean and central yeah. america Whereas the women, and this is no fault of the women, and no. I'm not slate again. I feel I have to keep stressing this. That this is an aside. Sorry, I'm trying to keep these focus points. But I've had about five people message me this week that are too scared to tweet their opinions out. Yeah. they want to tell me what their opinions are because they don't want to get cancelled or a backlash, and it shouldn't be like that. Because it's very valid points that they've made, and these discussions have to be had. But the women, through no fault of their own, haven't had competitive games, and their qualifying is usually in the US. The The qualification for the World Cup was a two-week tournament in the US. And it, it was raised, oh, but it's because you're so high in the world that you don't have to go through that qualification now. That doesn't come into it. It's just it's how it is. And yes, they might play less matches than men in one year, as they did in 2021, but they played more than the men in 2022, and that was a World Cup year for the men. Yeah. Because, yeah, like you said, the women will have the She Believes Cup all in the United States. They'll have the All Gra All Grave Cup all in Portugal. All Garve. All Garve, sorry. They'll have a... They'll have a the, remember, we hosted the Olympic qualifying in like yep. 2011, yep. 2012. It was all at BC Place, yeah. all the games. It was at a great occasion. Yeah. So again, that's just where those things are at. Yeah. So when when then the then when you talk about so when you're talking about not just pay equality, but you're talking about equity, you're talking about getting the same things. It's this the CSA has come out and said, yeah, we want we want that, but the the type of games and the where the games are we playing will impact what the budgets look like because it costs less to have everyone in Portugal for three games or in the United States for three games, then it does to go for the women's team. Then it does to go to Honduras and to Costa Rica and to the U S and to Mexico and to Cuba and to Panama in the, all in the same year. Yeah. Cause on the footy prime podcast, I haven't had a chance to go back and listen to this bit, but it, it seems like at first Amy Walsh was on it. And it felt yeah. like at first she was saying, well, if the men get a budget of a million for the year, the women should get a budget of a million for the year as well. And then it was like, well, what if they play less games? Well, that shouldn't matter. 
But then she kind of backtracked a little bit on that because it should matter. If the men are playing more games, they need a bigger budget. If all the men's games were in Canada and America, but the women were travelling all over the place, then the women need a bigger budget because they've got more flights and they've got hotels. What should be the same, no matter where they go, for however long it, it is, the camp fees should be the same. So the women and the men should get the same level of hotel accommodation. They should get the same number of training days. They should get the same number of staff attending. If the men get a private chef, the women should get a private chef. And that's one of the things that was one of the points for the for the World yeah. Cup. It's like both teams should have the same thing and the same budget for that, but you can't have the same annual budget because their paths are going in completely different ways. Yeah. As I feel our talk is now starting to do as well. Yeah. But part of the problem of this is because they're trying to cram everything into the one thing. And I do understand why, because now they've got everyone's focus on this. So they may as well get all these things out. But all these issues are very different and very important in their own ways. Like safe sport needs a huge focus on this as well because of everything that's happened. Uh, I've just talked there about equity and equality for, for, for stuff. If the men fly charter to, to big tournaments, the women should get to fly charter. To big totally. tournaments. Same with the, the youth boys and girls. They should be treated exactly the same way for their qualifications, for their World Cup appearances, whatever. Which is, I mean, that was what the women kept on going. We're saying, we're not doing this for ourselves, we're doing this for the future. And again, uh, I think that's great. I think that's right. Uh, and we do need to be careful about, about what's happening. But I think also some of those age group things, we have to ask, how were they funded in the past? Mm-hmm. I think that the current tone and direction of, of all this risks causing a fractious relationship that's going to take a long time to heal between so many different aspects of the game, and I'm including supporters of that. There, there's, If you look at some of the online comments on social media, Discord, forums over the past month or so, a, a lot of this, the comments, it's very sexist views and attitudes. Not all. Yeah. But there is a lot of that. And people are afraid to, to speak out because they get attacked for, oh, you're not supporting the women or, oh, you're being sexist, you're being misogynistic or anti-women. And it's it's not that. It's people are trying to have much needed conversations. And it has to happen. People have to listen to each point of view in this and then find the proper way forward because it helps no one to cause a split. Yeah, And like... The the easiest thing would be to have a Canadian Women's Soccer Association, a Canadian Men's Soccer Association, but that doesn't fly under FIFA rules. You can't have that. <laughs> and I, I don't know, the friction, the splitting, the trying to force this, it needs to stop because the game is in an absolute fucking mess here. The The governing body is in a mess. It's like you, you've got... Uh, it's kind of apt that Crooks have taken over uh, Canada <laughs> Soccer. Or Charmaine Crooks, sorry, has taken over uh, uh, Canada she, Soccer. She was hanging out with Bev today at the game. Yeah, she was. She was at the game. Har was like looking at everywhere to see if she could find her. I went, she's not going to speak to you, Har. She went, yeah. I can still ask her questions. I was like, yeah. <laughs> but she couldn't find her. But I, I don't know where we go from here. I don't know what the end of all these meetings are. And the the one thing I feel that also has to be said here is 
these four women's players went and spoke at this committee where they should be focusing on the fact that they're going to a World Cup. Yeah. They do not need this. Some of what they've done and how they've gone about it hasn't been great. Calling a strike when it didn't meet labour law regulations, that kind of stuff. But they're football players. They're mm-hmm. relying on advice from their advisors, which you maybe have to question what some of that is. They need to be focusing on where they're playing. Like Christine Sinclair talked about she wanted to get subbed off just to make a statement. That's not great either. She should be playing an no. international match. To, to they, they shouldn't be putting up with all this shit. The timing of it is absolutely terrible in a World Cup year. This would yeah. have been so much better if it had come out after the World Cup, but it all boils down to the fact that they hadn't had a, a pay agreement for 2022. And that's what's brought matters to a head. Where, where do we go now? I mean, the, the next committee meeting is on the 20th, where Canada Soccer are going to be there. Nick Bontis and Errol Cochran, I believe, are definitely there. I don't know if Charmaine Crooks will, will be there or not. I mean, it, it's shaping up to be a potential bloodbath, but at the same time, if the committee are as clueless and not prepared as they were for this, yeah. Canada Soccer will wipe the floor with them. And it's going to actually set back yeah. what the women are, are trying to get here. Because if they get asked these stupid questions, Canada Soccer will just reply with facts of, well, this is it's done like this because of this, for yeah. this reason. This is a CONCACAF thing. It's nothing to do with this. This is yeah. a FIFA decision. It's nothing to do with us. Yeah, which th- that did come up. And uh, one of those things came up, uh, which I think they took a little bit out of context in this last meeting mm. with, the, with the, again, the setup question of, did anyone threaten you You know, yeah. before you came here today? And they're like, well, you know, Canada Soccer did talk to us about, the, about you know. Because that is a genuine threat exactly. that is there. It's hanging Canada, over them and they don't seem to understand that. Canada, Canada Soccer... Uh, I mean, you know, the tone and whatever, we, we don't hear that or whatever. Canada Soccer informed the players of FIFA's policy that if governments interfere with the FA, there can be sanctions. And they mentioned that to them because that could include them being elim- like, taken out, removed from the World Cup. They, they weren't, um, my sense, and again, I, it was, the comments weren't made to me. I don't know. Maybe they were threatening in their tone or whatever. But they were that's a, they're stating facts and not their decision, not what they want. They don't want their their, their team to be not to be eliminated because of government interference. Oh, the worst thing for Canada because the backlash in Canada soccer if they then got kicked out of the World Cup would be crazy. Would be huge. It wouldn't be yeah. on the players. It no. would be on Canada soccer, and they know that, so they don't want that to happen. They don't want yeah. government involvement. But here we are. I mean, we, what we want at the end of this is a fair deal, and obviously they've made the public release on the day of the hearing, which you and me have different opinions on this. I think it was shitty timing. And well, I know I know you I don't, say I don't think, I don't think asking was... for transparency and they got transparency. The the timing on the day of the committee was stupid. My my perspective isn't that it was the best timing. But Michael, were they gonna do it the day before on International Women's Day when they also would have got slaughtered for it? Oh, of course that was. Were they going to do it the day after the committee where they would have been, again, slaughtered for, oh, you're just, you're just knee-jerk reaction, reacting to whatever, to the, to the mm. committee? Um, and they... Yeah, and, that's true. I, I, I do see that. They, and they, and they've been getting That's why they should have come out with it two or three weeks ago. They, yeah, they've been getting slaughtered, you know, publicly for lack of transparency and for poor communication and understanding what's going on. 
the the one thing which I I would question the the one thing I would question about it is, uh, and obviously the players mentioned this is as much as Canada soccer was trying to be transparent with where, what's going on, where things are at, where offers are at. It sounded like from what the players said that there were elements of what they shared that were supposedly supposed to be kept private or. Yeah. I was very surprised that they put actual figures on that as to, Oh, they're going to get paid this amount of money per game. And, but but having read the document, I didn't, again, just from an outsider perspective, I, nothing in red in there to me felt like, oh, you should, like someone should be upset about this. Like it all seemed like kind of, but uh, again, I'm, again, I, I think part, I think my guess is partly why the, why the players felt uh, put off by it was because they had been telling people, we can't talk about the details. We can't talk about the details. And then the CSA talked about the details. Yeah. So I feel, I feel like, but they, but that's the one thing in this whole thing is they, 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 the power play that they've had is, their ability to connect with people over social media uh, and and via the media. And so they've used that really, really well, but they've held off talking about some of these details. And now that the CSA has, it's like they've lost, maybe the, maybe they're frustrated that they, one, that they feel it wasn't supposed to be talked about, so they're frustrated, which is totally understandable, or they feel like they lost uh, part of their leverage in being able to share that themselves. But I mean, Canada soccer are definitely the seen as the villains in this by i think the vast majority of people and yep. i i don't know how they can get out of it i mean and they they have a lot to answer for i am not sticking up for them in any way shape or form i would just like to stress as well they have a lot a lot of people there who yeah i don't really trust they have some people there who, who i do trust um, but they're not at the highest, not at the highest no. level. But I mean, thing- what, what is going to be interesting is what direction Canada Soccer takes. Because obviously, like, again, a lot was made of the fact that Charmaine Crooks has taken over. It's in the bylaws. Yeah, that's yeah. Th- They're going to have a proper vote and selection. Yeah. And it's like, I do feel there needs to be player representation. It was pointed out to me, a lot of the players don't have that knowledge and skills to do that. But you need football people on there. But then other people have pointed out to me, I'd rather have non-football people out of there that's looking at it with a fresh but head. That, so. that would also require maybe some alterations in terms of in terms of how things are set up, yeah. right? Because my understanding, uh, and you can correct me on this if I'm wrong, but is you have to have been uh, on the board for a year to become the president, right? So it's not like it's not yeah. like you, Michael McCall, can say I can solve this problem. I'm the I'm the person. Vote for me. Get me in. Yeah, whatever. you can't become president, but there there are board members or positions there are positions that you can put yeah. yourself forward to like I, I could put myself forward for one of the like floating board members if i wanted i would just have to get a nomination from one of the provincial associations i believe oh you're good friends with some of those people yeah well the alberta folk like me so maybe the the fact that you're not a citizen that doesn't matter right i means i can't get called in front of the committee i think i think that could be good <laughs> <laughs> they might like me for that yeah, put him in charge. He can't testify. Ah, uh, I don't know. I mean, I didn't want this to be as long as it is, but I, you, you dropped down, dropped around last night, and I said, "Oh, I'm in the middle of typing up all my notes for talking about this tomorrow." Ah, uh, I feel I've relived this through two I'm, nights running. I don't even know if I've gone through what all my notes are here, but let's just call this a day. Because, will, I'm sure we'll be coming back to it. <laughs> yeah, probably after the twentieth. It it's a it's a giant mess. I I hope the players 
get what they're wanting. Yep. I I hope the game gets restructured the way it needs to and it gets the investment that it needs to and it gets allocated in the right way. Yep. I hope the CSB deal can be made more transparent so that people see that it has been good for the game. I, there's big aspects of it I don't like and I don't think the national team should be part of it. I can't see CSB all of a sudden saying, hey, you take all those rights back because no. the CPL is going to fold if they do that. It's, it's just going to collapse. I hope a women's league starts within the next two years. I don't care who runs this women's league. If it's the CSA, the CSB, if it's the Project A, if it's all three of them working together, which seems mm-hmm. highly unlikely right now, it feels. Yeah. There just needs to be a league. And if everyone's wanting it, just work together and, and get this done. Because it's only by working together and sharing resources and knowledge that things are going to happen. I don't know. Maybe I'm just living in a kind of cloud cuckoo land and it's never going to happen in the game here. Yeah. But th- this is its such an exciting time for the game in this country. I, th- the small part that we play in it, I, I love that we've got a part to play and a role to play. We do this show. We have a website. I do commentary. I do some other stuff for some of the local teams. I, I love that I play a small part in growing the game here. And football should be right up there as one of the top sports after the World Cup in 2026. It's not going to overtake hockey, but it should really be high up there. Everyone's talking about it. This is derailing it. You've got a women's team that's getting prepared for a World Cup in the worst possible way. If they get bounced out, they can turn around and say, well, this was on our minds. Yeah. And it's, it's genuinely hard to say, well, you know what? Yeah, I, I could totally see that that would disrupt you. Totally. Oh, it's a mess. I don't know the way forward. Let us know your views. Do you have any final thoughts on, on this, Zach? Uh, no, I, I, like like you said, yeah, I do hope uh, that the women uh, get a pay equality and then equity on you know, how they're treated and in terms of, you know, the, the same kind of preparation and uh, support staff and, you know, number of players so you can train properly and all those things. I hope that it's rectified so that that can happen. Uh, and I, I do. I camps I, come I, back as well because they are yes, crucial. Yeah, youth camps. I hope, I know, I long for a, uh, a women's league in Canada. I personally hope that that is in conjunction or as a part of the Canadian Premier League so that it's together. Um, I I think that that would be the most ideal in the long term, despite some of the fractures that exist. Um, I mean, the the great thing about League One BC is the clubs are mandated to have male and female teams. Right. And I I think, obviously, they're starting from afresh. Same with League One Ontario. I wasn't 100% sure if that was the case there, so it is there as well, right? As as, As far as I know, it is. But that's the thing, Michael. The CPL owners have been having this conversation from the beginning as well. Yeah. And, and... uh, I mean, this is it's, it's genuinely financial suicide if the league's losing money to then go and launch a bunch of new teams. To- totally, but um, they're like, and they are like, this is this is not a this is like this is there are owners in the CPL. Let me put it this way: there are owners in the CPL who desperately want to have a women's team as a part of their football club, and maybe there are some who they need to they need more convincing or proof yeah, that it will work or, or whatever. 
and this is obviously playing a role a role, a role in that. So the best um, thing is everyone works together and you have a mishmash. The CPL teams that want to put teams in, put teams in, along with the white caps. I mean, Calgary, be, Calgary Foothills and Cavalry are very closely totally. kind of connected over the years on the male side, for sure. Um, yeah. Let, let's just see how it goes. Let us know your thoughts. And we've had a lot of thoughts on, on Twitter. As I said, this section went way over what I had actually planned for. So who wait, knows how it, long this podcast is going to be? Wait, does that mean we're not getting into part five about the Bundesliga? I'm, I'm afraid we're going to have to, to scrap that. I'm sorry. But we'll, we'll, we'll have Marcus Clocks on the on a future show. Was that the name I'd given him? I can't even remember. Manuel. Manuel Clocks, that was it. Manuel Clocks, that was the joke. It, that feels like five hours ago. <laughs> um, let's, let's get the show finished because let's finish on some some positive, some happy times. It's Football Violence Awareness Month. And I'm going to finish the show with a song from our Artist of the Month, Luxembourg band, The Skin Flicks. And this is a song, you can find it on their 2022 album, Cream of the Cropped. You can also find it on their 2000 albums, Lies, Damned Lies, and Skinhead Stories. This is... Terrorist terror. Skin Flicks, Terrace Terror, 
representing Luxembourg for Football Violence Awareness Month. That is it for this show. No more violence to be had. Just before we go, Zach, any final thoughts from you? Where can folk find you online? Anything you learned this week or any fun facts? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Zachary M. Uh, occasionally tweeting there. Uh, what I learned this week is that uh, Vancouver FC will be playing Valor uh, in a friendly on Saturday, March 18th. Yes. At, is it noon or is it? It's at it noon. Uh, will noon. it be? We'll get SS spies it, out for that. It said stadium pitch, so I'm. Is that stadium pitch as well? I was like, I. It's got to be the one behind the. Really, it can't be the stadium pitch. Um, I'm guessing it's the one where they had the other friendly, which 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 would be great. So if you, it's the uh, one which if you go at night, you just hear tons of frogs. It's amazing. Oh, I'm deadly serious. I was at a provincial cup game there. Oh, the frog chorus was amazing. There you go. So yeah, if you're uh, if you're in the if you're interested in that. fvfanatics.gmail.com be in touch uh, we'll have some people out at that as we did at the last game and we will on the 25th yeah, for I'll the be out at both of those games as well yeah I'm, Michael will be there yeah, I'm looking forward to the Langley Club called Vancouver that is launching their kit in Richmond that'll be fun <laughs> just encompasses the whole lower mainland that's totally. what the club's all about uh, yeah don't forget to get your TSS tickets for that Valor game on the 19th of April tssfc.ca I think is the website it's tiring times at this time of night. But, yeah, make sure you get that. And we'll be back with a, another episode soon, talking about another couple of Whitecaps games. Will they have their first MLS victory under the belts? Will they be facing LAFC in the, the quarterfinals of the Champions League? I think we can pretty much say that that's already on the cards. Until next time, have a good week. Remember to put your clocks forward if you haven't already. We'll be back soon. Take care, thanks for listening, and mourn the caps! Going to your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life. Mm-hmm.